Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, we continue our study through the New Testament. And remember, we're in chapter 6, but remember how we ended in chapter 5? How in chapter 5, verse 12, the writer says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You ought to be teachers, he says. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That's a baby. In verse 14, chapter 5, he says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now you have the continuation of that theme here about maturing in Christ and the danger of not maturing in Christ. Now we've seen that uh, uh, outlined in the Corinthian saints. They were under arrested development. Not everybody matured in Christ. Chloe, she's a different animal. She's a different bear. Chloe's not like the average bear. Why? She had a good teacher. She had a good teacher. Who was her teacher? Paul. You see? And praise be to the Lord that we have these examples so that we have these examples so that you and me can understand not just the formula, but the formula within self so that we can make choices that honor the Lord. Remember the the challenge that was given when we started our study in Leviticus and the challenge, well, it wasn't at the beginning of Leviticus, but in our study in Leviticus, nonetheless, where, you know, to, to think of our lives, the challenge for you and me together to think of our lives as an aroma before the Lord. You see, and what aroma do you want to present before the Lord. What aroma do I want to present before the Lord? And I want all of us, I want you, I want me, I want all of us together as one to be sweet aromas unto the Lord. And so there's a danger behind not maturing and we continue this theme in chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, therefore, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Now, remember here, in the Greek, this translates as leaving the doctrines of the beginning. It sounds so basic. It sounds so basic, you know, and it really is quite simple. Leaving the doctrines of the beginning. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. In other words, don't stay in spiritual kindergarten, you see? Because that's not leaving Christ. I mean, if you and me are in kindergarten, say we're like five years old or whatever age it is for kindergarten, five, six, seven, I don't know. But, you know, say, for example, you're five years old or, you know, you and me were five years old and we're in kindergarten. You know, praise be to the Lord because we're five-year-olds. But then at the same time to say like, okay, so what if we're 25? What if we're 35? What if we're 45? What if we're 55? What if we're 65? You see, there's a disconnect. Now that's... That's not leaving Christ. That's not, I mean, understand, it's not leaving Christ. You see, it's not leaving Christ. It's advancing and growing and maturing in Him. You see, we're to leave the elementary principles of Christ. 
but the elementary principles i mean there's there's principles for there's principles for kindergarten kindergarten there's principles for you know preschool kindergarten principles for first grade principles for second grade principles for junior high principles for high school principles for college you see and there are elementary principles which you know elementary school principles for preschool but that's preschool and we're to move on from the elementary principles. It's not leaving Jesus Christ. It's advancing and growing and maturing in him. You see? I mean, in preschool, what, what does a person learn in preschool? What, is, what does a preschooler learn in preschool? And listen, you know, this isn't to shun or neglect those things that a preschooler learns because it's beautiful. I mean, have you ever... Have you ever spoken to a child and like just talk to him or her about their schooling, their education, their academia? And it's so beautiful to see a mind that is learning, you know, it's so actively learning and you can see they're putting, you know, two and two together here, two and two together there. And you see their mind is actively at work, how they learn. And it's so beautiful. It's not to shun those things. Remember the rugby match from our study in Romans? It's not to shun those things. It's to understand that there are principles for preschool, principles for kindergarten, principles for first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, junior high, high school, you know, higher academia, higher learning, university. There are principles for these things. And that is you and me in Christ to advance. You see, with school and the academic environment, it's one thing to repeat a grade. But who repeats preschool? You see, who repeats preschool? I'm not saying that repeating a grade is advantageous either. But, you know, sometimes it's necessary when certain concepts can't be grasped. It's like, okay, well, you know, you got to repeat fourth grade. You got to repeat fifth grade. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, in in the case of Corinth, you know, it wasn't like, okay, you guys are, you were on milk three years ago and you're still on milk and now you're all going to burn in hell. No, it doesn't work that way. You see, it's not necessarily a bad thing in that context. But it is a bad thing in another context. Because it's like, wait a second. If there's no growth, if there's no maturity, then you start to see something starts to grow. You see, the algae, you know, the water start to get funky. You see, because there's no growth. I mean, you look at a creek, a flowing creek. And you don't see the algae like you see in a pond. Why? There's no flowing of water. There's no active moving of water. And that's the danger behind arrested development. In the case of Corinth, it was three years. And you see the abundance of the works of the flesh. You see? And in the case of Corinth, and when I say Corinth, remember we make the distinction between you know the, the church in Corinth and also the saints that were in Chloe's household, you know, the, the, the Chloe who was like a, a, a teacher, not pastor, you know, the, the, a teacher, you know, pastor is reserved for males, you know, overseers, males. That's the biblical formula. Remember our study through the pastoral epistles, but the beauty of Chloe, the, the safety of being in Chloe's household for the women. And what do they do when Corinth is a mess? They go to the male covering. Not just run-of-the-mill pastor, they notify Paul. 
Paul, there's disarray in Corinth. You see? And it's so beautiful because, you know, Paul doesn't write a letter and say, okay, everybody, you guys are carnal. You're all going to burn in hell. No, he says, you take the... Remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, saints. Chapter 2, saints. Chapter 3, saints. Babies, but saints. Chapter 4, saints. Chapter 5, separate. You see, remnant, separate from the leaven. You see? And now you see chapter 6, remnant. Chapter 7, remnant. Chapter 8, remnant. Remember when he said, do I praise you in this? No. A remnant is not without chastisement. Do I praise you in this? No. Do I praise you in that? No. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians? You see? And then you get to 2 Corinthians and, you know, those who were of the leaven. You know, if they have repented and returned to Christ, then Paul says, okay, welcome them, welcome them back in the body. Bring them back in the body. You see? Do you remember our study through 2 Corinthians, you know, where, you know, there was the series of three years where, you know, when we correlate that to the book of Acts, when Paul enters Corinth, and then you see the birth of the church, and then you see three years later, then you see 1 Corinthians, then you see three years later, and then you see 2 Corinthians. Now, with the examples that we used, saints of Corinth, they should have been in sixth grade. Now, I'm, I'm throwing out these numbers, you know, like first grade, second grade, third grade. I'm throwing out these numbers, but you don't see that in the Bible, like, you know, first grade, second. I'm, I'm using these, you know, academics to, to help us understand. But by that measure, the saints in Corinth should have been in sixth grade by the time second Corinthians was written. They should have been in sixth grade, you know, kind of, you know, like uh, speaking relatively loosely in terms of grade so that we can understand correlating to year, you know, first, you know, when, when they're uh, newborns in Christ, when Paul comes to town and gives the gospel and people respond to the gospel. But then what happens from that point? Remember in our, in our study, just, it just so happens we studied this on Wednesday, you know, zero percent. We come to Christ with zero percent. But do we stay at 0%? You know, lest anyone should boast. We're not saved by works. You know, we're justified by faith. We come to Christ with 0%. You see, but does a person, does a Christian, once a person comes to Christ at 0%, do we stay at 0%? You see, the answer is no. I mean, that's not what is supposed to happen. But, you know, for everyone, myself included, for you and me together, balls in our court. You know, when the word says one, two, three, X, Y, Z, balls in our court. Am I going to understand X, Y, Z, one, two, three? And not just understand, am I going to do X, Y, Z, one, two, three? You see, because the Bible says, let us not be hearers only, but also doers of the word. Now, we also have to understand covenants because there are some certain things in the Old Testament where, you know, are it, certain things are pleasing to the Lord, whereas new covenant believers, it is no longer pleasing to the Lord. I mean, to abide in the law and to follow the law, it's good. It's a good thing in the Old Testament, but the law is a tutor, is a schoolmaster to bring to Christ. And once the seed, remember, according to promise, once the seed, according to promise to Abraham, once the seed has come, and the seed has indeed come, which is Christ, 
all of a sudden the fulfillment of the law to the Galatian saints. When Paul says, I marvel that you've turned away so soon from Jesus. Have I labored for you in vain? Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Because if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus died in vain. That's what Paul says to the Galatian saints who were attempting to be justified by the works of the law. But that's post-seed. I mean, Galatians, that's post-seed. Pre-seed, that's, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, that's pre-seed. But once the seed has come, you see, we understand the covenants. And so all of a sudden, you know, these saints in Corinth, they should have been in sixth grade by second Corinthians. Now I say that, you know, sixth grade, I'm, I'm speaking, you know, spiritually here. But because of carnality and walking according to the flesh, we've got to go back to the basics. That's what Paul says, you know, we got to go back. First Corinthians chapter three, you know, you guys are still babies. You guys are still babies because you're still carnal. He's, you know, first Corinthians chapter one, you're babies. Chapter two, you're, or you're, you're saints. He's not saying you guys are not Christians. He's not saying you guys are not saints, you know, like the Calvinists reformed. Oh, they were never really a believer. No, that's, that's, that's unbiblical. Oh, he was, he, she never really believed. He never really believed. That's unbiblical because Jesus in, in Luke chapter eight, verse 13 speaks of a person who is a believer, but falls away. You see why? Because of temptation. Now, remember, it's not a sin to be tempted, but how a person responds to temptation can be wicked or it can be righteous. You see, but in, in that case, when temptation comes multiple times in a day, when temptation comes balls in our court, balls in my court, balls in your court, how are we going to respond? Remember the Lord is reactionary. And so for the Corinthian saints, we got to go back to the basics. How do we go back to the basics? Okay. Separate from the leaven. Let's go back to preschool. Let's go back to kindergarten. And, you know, when we go back to preschool, it's without the leaven. Because now the leaven are they're a liability to the church. And I say liability not in terms of like a monetary payment. I say liability in terms of detrimental to the church. Detrimental to the remnant. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. So Paul says... You know, on alert by Chloe, who was led by the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, okay, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to milk. But when we go back to the milk, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're all still on milk, but, you know, let's move on from milk. Absent is the leaven because the leaven stunts the growth in the church. And then you get, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and, and you know, that's, that's remnant. It's very important to remember because a lot of times people refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, chapter 8, but everything after chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that's remnant. We're talking remnant. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, that's the entirety, 100% of the church. 
But chapter 5, is that 100%? No, because there's a separation. A separation, the, 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 the remnant that separates from the leaven. So when you get into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, you know, that's remnant. 2 Corinthians, that's remnant. And we see in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, okay, now that you guys have moved on to, or moving on to perfection, now for the, for the leaven, if they've repented, now bring them back into the church. Welcome them back in. You see? So one might say, well, okay, so, Prevent the leaven. I mean, if, 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 you know, if, 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 if leaven stunts growth in the church, prevent the leaven. Well, that's precisely the point. Prevent the leaven. That's precisely the point. But my question is this. Where in the world are the teachers? Where in the world are the pastors who teach on preventing leaven within oneself? And this problem in Corinth isn't specific to Corinth. It's endemic in the church. It's endemic in saints. It's endemic to us today. Look at the church today. And this writer of Hebrews, when he says in chapter 5, you ought to be teachers by now. Look at verse 1 here in chapter 6. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. You see, once we leave elementary, we move on to perfection. I mean, we see it in once, once a kid leaves preschool, what happens? They go to kindergarten. What happened? Once they leave kindergarten, what do they do? They go to elementary school. Once a kid leaves elementary, what do they do? They go to junior high. You see? And then on down the road, they leave junior high, they go to high school. They leave high school, they go to college. You see, the natural world testifies of these things. And it just so happens, it just so happens, it just so happens that we studied this on Wednesday. 0% to 100%. Listen to our study. If you're listening for the first time, listen to our study on Wednesday. We come to Christ with 0%. And as we grow, as we mature in Christ, we go from 0% to 5% to 15% to 22% to 32% to 48% to 60%. Now, when you and me reach 100%, we're going to be dead. You see? We're going to be dead. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we can reach 90%, 95%, You see? And it's so beautiful because we grow and we mature in Christ. And it's to, you know, let us go on to perfection. In verse 1 here, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Remember, we're not saved by works. It is a biblical truth. We are not saved by works. But the Bible does say specifically we are saved for works. You see? Remember, we come to Jesus at 0%. That's repentance from dead works. You see? The works, I mean, they were wickedness. Before I came to Christ, my works were wickedness. Before you came to Christ, your works were wickedness. 
I mean, that's where, you know, wherein lies the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, the Mary, the Ouija boards, the occult, the yoga, the gambling, you know. Before you and me came to Christ, what were our works? Wickedness. In our BC days, we see the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards. But we come to Jesus at zero percent. You see? Zero percent righteousness. Because there is no righteousness. We're at zero percent. Our works were wicked before we came to Christ. We come to Christ at zero percent. That's why sometimes you have like non-believers. And I've had these conversations with non-believers. They're like, well, you know, let me get my life right with the Lord. Let me get my right, my life right with God. And then, you know, I'll, I'll clean up my life and, and, and then I'll get right with God. But that's the wrong, that's the wrong order of operations. You could be, you know, with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards. You come to Christ right here, right now. And as the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. And I tell you from experience. When the Lord found me, I was a mess. I was a mess. And, you know, I was a mess and I was in some pretty nasty mess. And I didn't, I didn't clean up my life. It's the Lord who cleaned up my life. You see, a lot of times, well, you know, I'll get right with God, you know, but, you know, I, you know, I got to get right and, and then I'll get serious with the Lord. Let me clean some stuff up. No, that's the wrong order of operations. You believe in Jesus Christ. You repent and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus. We come to Jesus at 0%. And we start to grow and mature from there. And then you're going to learn, wow, you know what? The sex, that's not a good, I mean, within the confines of marriage, that's good. But, you know, that's the, 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 the sex over here and sex over there, the, the Ouija boards, the, you know, Virgin Mary, uh, the occult, the Ouija boards, you know, the yoga, the gambling, the violence, the rage. Those aren't good things. And these are things that a person learns as they grow in Christ. And as a person grows in Christ, they come to Christ at 0% and they go to 4%, 8%, 20%, 30%. When you reach 100, you're going to be dead. You see? But you can reach 90%. You can reach 95%. Remember, the Bible does specifically say that we are not saved by works. You and me, we come to Christ. I came to Christ at 0%. You come to, I mean, if you're a believer already, you came to Christ at 0%. But if you're not a believer, and sometimes I've had these conversations where, you know, my life is so dirty, God can't save me. That's wrong. That's rubbish. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can be the dirtiest of all dirty. And it's like, wow, I, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And you're the dirtiest of all dirty. You come to Christ at 0%. There is no right. The, the works that you have, it's wickedness. But remember, the Lord responds to wickedness. The Lord responds to righteousness. And beautifully, 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 
the Lord responds to repentance. You can be the dirtiest of dirty. You repent. And you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're not going to be at 0% anymore. You're going to grow in Christ. You see? And if that's you and you're, you're not a Christian today, you can be the dirtiest of all dirty. I don't care. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. I don't care. But know this. God loves you. He loves you. Not willing that you should perish, but that you come to Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And then you come back and you listen. We continue and we journey together. We grow together. We mature together. We become deadly together. The good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. And we fight the good fight together. You're a brand new believer. Yeah, you're going to be a baby, but baby, you know, you're going to be a milk drinker. Praise be to the Lord. That's nothing to be shunned. Drinking milk, it's nothing to be shunned when you're a baby. When you've been a Christian for a month, you know, a week, two months, three months. I mean, that's stretching it. We'll say like, you know, a month and a half. When you're a baby, you drink milk. But you grow, you mature. And in the course of time, you're eating those spiritual pork chops. The spiritual porterhouse steak. In the course of time, it comes as we grow and mature in Christ. And this is so beautiful. Because here in verse 1, it's to not lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Remember, faith is a package deal. It just so happens we studied this last week. Faith is a package deal. Faith and works, package deal. Faith, package deal with works. Works, package deal with faith. Remember, it is written here in verse 1, repentance from dead works. Now, if it's from dead works, what's the other option? Good works. You see, we come to Jesus Christ at 0%. And it's repentance from dead works. That's why I say sex, drugs, rock and roll. I don't care. We come to Jesus at 0%. We come from dead works. Those are dead works. The sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. The Ouija board, the Mary, the, the Krishnas, the chakras, the crystals, you know, the, the yoga, the, uh, the occult. From dead works. But once we're with Christ, once we're with Christ, it's repentance from the former, from the dead works. Now the other option is good works. You see? Good works. Remember, belief is a package deal. Faith is a package deal that includes works. From the dead works at 0% to the good works in Christ. You see? Which is 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, and we move on to perfection. Now understand, you know, you're going to hit like 10% and you might get knocked down into like 
you're going to hit 15% and you might get knocked down to 10%. You're going to hit 20%. You might get knocked down to 19%. Because we learn to walk according to the Spirit. I mean, you're at 0% when you come to Christ. And you come to Christ. Now you're abiding in Christ and you believe in Jesus. Now you're at 3%. And then you move on to 6%. Then you move on to 10%. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, 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 you walk according to the flesh. And the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And you're at 10%. Now you're at 10%. Or at, you're at 10%. Now you're at 8%. So you went down a little bit. Why? Because you walked according to the, to the flesh. But then you learn. It's like, wow, you know what? I walked according to the flesh. I tasted of the flesh. I tasted and experienced the error of my ways. I repented. And boom, now I'm at 10%. And then you continue on walking with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you're at another fork in the road. And you have the opportunity to go to the left or to the right. Remember our study in Romans? To the left, walking according to the flesh. To the right, walking according to the Spirit. And then you remember, wow, the last time when I was at 10%, I went down to 8% and I tasted of my flesh. I tasted of the air of my ways. I don't want to experience that again because I want my life to be a sweet aroma to the Lord. So instead of going left towards the flesh, I'm going to go right and walk according to the spirit. Because obedience is a learned thing, just like we studied last week. Walking according to the spirit. Learning to walk according to the spirit. Learning to walk. I mean, when somebody's a baby, a brand new believer, just the natural world testifies. A baby learns to walk. A baby in Christ learns to walk according to the Spirit. You see? It's beautiful. Remember, faith is a package deal, which includes works. Dead works, dead faith. That's unbelief. Good works, that's faith that's alive. That's belief. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 1, you know, we, we, we studied, you know, Deuteronomy already. We, we have our the backdrop of the Torah. And, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while, we've studied these beautiful, beautiful passages. But in Deuteronomy 1, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, that's like the, the farewell exhortation of Moses. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29, Moses is saying, Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. This is regarding the the Canaanites when the Lord says, you know, go go in and fight the Canaanites. And Moses is, you know, recalling that in Deuteronomy 1, verse 29. I said to you, don't be terrified. Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. According to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Remember, they saw and witnessed the hand of God. In verse 31, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. You see? Learning. Israel, learning as a man carries his son. Learning to walk. As a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. In verse 32, yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God. Wow. 
They saw the hand of the Lord. They saw his works. They saw his might. I mean, they're not in Egypt anymore. How is it that Moses is saying, you did not believe the Lord? For all that, you did not believe. You know why? There was no obedience. No obedience. Now, some of might say, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament word, New Covenant believers. Okay. Remember Hebrews 3, New Testament? In Hebrews 3, we just studied this several weeks ago. Chapter, or, or chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief? The writer of Hebrews is speaking to Christians. Christians. Believers. And the warning is about an evil heart of unbelief. Remember, beware, brethren. Put it another way. Beware, Christians. Beware, saints. Lest there be an evil heart. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, how does that happen? Well, just like Moses says to Israel, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's the trick of sin. You see? That's the deceitfulness of sin. The hardening of the heart. And when the heart is stone, it is no longer circumcised. You see? Remember, faith is a package deal. Brother James correctly says, faith without works is dead. We are to apply, you and me are to apply the word of God to our lives. That's obedience unto the Lord. Remember, we come to Jesus at 0%, but we don't stay at 0%. We grow, we mature 5%, 10%, maybe a little, a little trip, a little trip up to 8%. Instead of 10 to 12, we go to 10 to 8. You say, oh, that's terrible, terrible. Yes, it's bad, but we repent. You see, we learn to walk. What baby doesn't fall? I mean, you look at an Olympic athlete. An Olympic athlete. She's got the gold medal. She's a gold medalist Olympic athlete. The fastest time in the world. She's the fastest woman of all time. Well, at one point in her life, she was crawling. She couldn't walk. At one point in her life, she was crawling and could not walk. She learned to walk. And in learning to walk, She did fall. She did fall. She did trip. But in the course of time, the fastest runner of all time, gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist. You see, we come to Jesus at 0%. We're not saved by works, lest anyone should boast. But remember, the Bible says we're saved for works. You see, and that comes with obedience. Faith is a package deal. We don't stay at 0%. When we hit 100, we're going to be dead. But we can hit 95%, 98%. Very important to understand. And the writer here in Hebrews 6, uh, uh, 6 is saying, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Notice, 
The writer indicates more things that are elementary. And verse 1 says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Now, understand that there are more things that are elementary in verse 2 of the doctrine, which, you know, it's instruction. Now, we often think of doctrine as, you know, instruction without action. But doctrine is not instruction without action. Don't do that. If, if you've done that and you're doing that, cut it out. Don't do that. And I don't say that, you know, like, you know, cut it out, tap, tap. I mean, you know, cut it out. Don't do that. It's not good. Maybe, you know, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And, you know, from time to time, the Lord will give us, you know, 5%, 6%, 7%, 10%, and then a little fall to 10% or a little fall to 8%. Now, I don't want to say a little fall, but, you know, like, uh, just like a child falls, you know, Depending on the situation, there might be a little tap tap. Love taps. You see? Remember the blueprints. There's a reason why we say blueprints because blueprints demand action. Remember the blueprints at the mountain with Moses in the cloud? And Joshua outside the cloud? But the blueprints? Blueprints demand action. We say blueprints specifically for a reason. I mean... If you hire a construction crew to build a neighborhood according to very specific blueprints and a week later you, 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 you drive up, you want to check on things and nothing has happened. You know what you do? You fire the workers. All of them. You see? Understand blueprints demand action. Blueprints demand action. Because in the example we gave, you know, you're, you're, you're building a neighborhood. What is the Lord building? You see? Yes, he goes to prepare a place for us. There's a specific formula to get there. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about works like a carnal works. I'm not talking about okay, we got to have, you know, 10 converts because we got to earn our way to heaven. But remember faith is a package deal, which is obedience let us not be hearers only but doers of the word as you and me together apply the word of god to our lives you see so what are these things that are element what are the elementary principles of christ the writer of hebrews is saying hey let's move on to perfection a beautiful exhortation in chapter five. He says, listen, some of you, you know, you ought not some of you. He says, you, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be teachers by now. Leave the elementary principles of Christ. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms. Whoa, baptisms. You know how many churches are doing baptism wrong? You know how many churches are doing baptism wrong? Calvinist, Reformed, Catholic, Lutheran. You see? Someone might say, well, you know, all you do is point out the wrong. All you do is point out the wrong. We're supposed to love each other. Listen, we live in a time where love has been redefined. We live in a time in these last days where love has been redefined. You know, I don't really need to expound on that because I mean, we, we see it everywhere we go. Love has been redefined. Do you think that will enter the church? It has entered the church. 
Let's take auto shops, for example. Say we're in a big city and there are a hundred auto shops and only 10 auto shops are good with quality parts, good prices, the best warranty. Now, with 90, I've pointed out the wrong. There are a hundred, a hundred auto mechanics, a hundred auto shops in the city. And with 90, I have pointed out the wrong. Only 10 are good. They got the good parts, good prices, good warranty, everything. The best. There's only 10. There meant there's a hundred, but there's only 10 that are like the best, like safe. Now, where will you take your car? Where will you take your car? Remember a city, a hundred auto shops, only 10 are good, 90 are bad. And I've specifically pointed out these 90 are bad. Giving you plenty reason to understand, okay, yeah, you're right. These are bad. You know, we get some, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, a, a, a metal parts, but it's like, you know, it's like wood with, with, with spray paint. It looks like, you know, it looks like it's metal, but it's really wood. Nice cheap prices, but it's cheap prices for a reason. You see, you have a part like that. You have a, a faulty part. You know, your, your car's going to catch on fire. You're going to blow up or something's going to happen. You're, 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 something's going to go out of whack. You're going to crash. You're going to blow up. You're going to fly off a bridge. You're going to crash into a big, you know, mountain, a, a pole, whatever, and you're going to die. 90 are bad. There's a hundred. A hundred auto shops. 90 are bad. And I specifically pointed out these 90 are bad. These 10 are good. Where will you take your car? Where will you take your car? How much more? How much more? The soul. Very specific formula. Very specific formula. How much more the soul? Where will you take your soul? You see? The Bible the Bible here in verse 2 says baptism is elementary. Baptism is elementary. And yet we see theologians, seminary graduates, doctorate in theology, etc. And they're doing the baby stuff, the elementary things, the kindergarten, the preschool, first grade. They're doing it wrong. I meant, who flunks preschool? Biblically? Pastors, churches, denominations, they're flunking preschool. You see? It's a devastating reality. Absolutely. There's a specific reason why we say jump ship. Understand, we're not in Kansas anymore. We are in the last days and saints must have a last days posture. As outlined in Holy Scripture according to Holy Formula. Because falling away, strong delusion, deceptive signs and wonders, that's prophesied. That's prophesied. You see, you hear us say like, okay, you know, the, the Calvinist, the Reformed, the Catholic, the Lutheran, they're doing it wrong. Well, you know, infant baptisms with the, the Calvinist, the infant baptism, that's why there was the Anabaptist back in the day, in the Geneva days. That's why the Anabaptists, that's why they were Anabaptists. 
Anabaptist, Anabaptist, like, you know, against baptism. Now, they say Anabaptism because they weren't against baptism, but they were against baby baptism because according to Calvinism, when a baby is baptized, they are guaranteed entry into paradise. According to Calvinism, not according to the Bible, but according to Calvinism, when a baby is baptized, they are guaranteed entry into heaven. Now, it's it's fine and dandy to see to, to think that in a child. Oh, yeah, my, my little baby, she's baptized. My little baby, he's baptized. So they're guaranteed entry into heaven, according to Calvinism. But you know what happens? Baby girl grows up. She becomes a sex head. Uh, you know, baby son, he grows up. He becomes a crackhead. Sex head too. It's like, wait a second. How is there guarantee into paradise? Well, that's what Calvinism teaches. Well, surprise, Calvinism is wrong. And the Anabaptists, they were against that. They say, listen, you know, the baptism is a beautiful thing. But to say that a baby can be baptized and that's guaranteed entry into heaven. I mean, if that were the case, the Calvinists of today, the reformed theory of today, you should see in their families, you should see like holiness in the families. If that were the case. You should see in a family, you should see like, wow, look, the grandma, the grandpa, they're holy. The mom, the dad, they're holy. And their kids, wow, they're holy. And they have like holy grandkids and all. It's like, wow, everything should be holy. But what do you see? What do you see? You see daughters doing their chakras and their Ouija boards and their yoga. You see the sons, they're doing their crack and their their sex and their drugs and all kinds of different, their Ouija boards. You see all kinds of stuff. Proof is in the pudding. And so what happened in the in the days of the Anabaptists and the Calvinists? What happened? The Anabaptists were so opposed, strongly opposed, adamantly opposed, correctly opposed to the teachings of John Calvin. You know what they did? They were killed. The Calvinists, they would kill the Anabaptists. Read the history books. Read about the atrocities of Geneva. They killed the Anabaptists. Men, women, children burned at the stake. They killed them. They beat them. They put them in prison, let them starve. In some cases, starve to death. Burn them at the stake. Read the history books. You see? And here in verse 2, the doctrine of baptisms. I mean, you, I mean, you hear us say like, you know, oh, the, like the Calvinists reform, they're doing it wrong, they're doing it wrong. I don't just say that, you know, it's not just a said thing. Well, you know, it's wrong. It's like the example with the, the auto shops. You say like, you know, we're in town and, you know, you say, hey, my car's busted up and, you know, a good mechanic. There's 90 in this city that are, but there's 100 in the city, but 90 are terrible. Don't go to these 90. But here are the 10. Here are their locations. Here are their dresses. This one, they got a nice, you know, they got good chips in their vending machine. So you might want to go there. This guy, he's a funny guy. You know, this lady, she's a cool gal. You're going to like her. Good conversationalist. You see? This one over here, they give out, you know, free popcorn, free coffee, free soda. So you might want to go there. They're good workers. They do good work. There's only 10. 
The other 90, they're terrible. Where are you going to take your car? You're going to go to one of the 10. But how much more of the soul? How much more of the soul? Remember, the Lord is the one who leaked the pastoral epistles. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while and you know that our study through the pastoral epistles, you know our studies through the epistles to the churches. Now, if you're a new listener, praise be to the Lord, but go back and listen to those studies because it will help you grow and mature in Christ. You know, I, I give the example of, you know, a hundred auto shops and only, only 10 are good. You know what Paul says in Corinth? He amps it up. He says, you have 10,000 teachers, but only one father. He's speaking of himself. Only one father. And not father like, you know, a uh, father in terms of God. He does father in terms of, you know, he, he, when he explains it, he says, you know, like when he says that you have uh, 10,000 teachers, but one father, he speaks of, you know, him fathering as they pass through his birth canal. How it translates in the Greek is like they pass through his birth canal. He's male. Carnally speaking, according to the flesh, he's male. He doesn't have a birth canal, but spiritually speaking, Christians, believers in Christ, because he shared the good news, he gave the good news, and they responded to the good news and repented and believed in Jesus Christ. They came to Jesus Christ at zero percent. And three years later, he's not in Corinth anymore. His expectation is that the saints are maybe, you know, three years later, three years later, maybe the saints are at 40 percent, 50 percent, 60 percent. Based on the account of Chloe, a vessel of the Lord, you know what he discovered? They're not at 40%. They're not at 50%. They're not at 60%. They're at like 5%. They're still on milk. They're still babies. You see? They're still babies. What in the world is happening? So Paul writes a letter. First Corinthians chapter one, your babe, or your, your saints. Chapter two, your saints. Th- chapter three, your saints, but your babies. Chapter four, your saints, but understand, chapter three was written already, so your babies. Chapter four, saints, babies. Chapter five, remnant separate from the leaven. You see? Chapter six, Remnant. Chapter 7. Remnant. You see? They have to move on to perfection. And that could not happen with the leaven. So why was there leaven in the church? Well, just like it is today. Where in the world are the teachers? Where are the teachers? You know, it's so powerful. It's so powerful when we understand these things because the same thing that happened in Corinth is the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is preventing or attempting to prevent. How? By instruction. Once instruction comes, okay, ball's in your court. Once instruction comes, okay, you know. The Corinthian saints, they had to respond to the teachings of Paul. 
Chloe, she responded to the teachings of Paul. And with Chloe, things were fine. Things were beautiful. She was moving on to perfection, but was everybody else? Nope. You see? And so Hebrews 6 here in verse 2, the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands. See, there's a biblical outline for laying on of hands for the when, the how, the who. Now, overseers laying hands is going to be a big deal as we progress further into the events of the last days. It already is. It always has been. But it's going to be on overdrive in the last days. You know why? There's a very specific formula. Brother James in James chapter 5 verse 14, you know, is anyone sick? Is anyone sick? Go to the elders. Because the elders will pray for you. If anybody's sick, go to the elders. But what if there's a wrong formula? It will be like going to a gas station. I mean, say for example, you're running out, you're running on fumes, you're on empty. And you pull into a gas station. And you expect to, you know, fill up the gas tank. But an attendant comes out. Oh, you know, sorry, we're all out of gas. All the gas stations within 100 miles, all out of gas. You see? Because James chapter 5, verse 14, Brother James says, you know, is anyone sick? Go to the elders. You see? What happens when the formula is wrong with the elders, with the overseers? What happens when they have no oil? What happens when they fail to meet the qualifications that the Lord teaches us, the qualifications for overseer? What happens when they fail to meet those qualifications? Oh, but he's such a nice guy. Look, he's got a doctorate in theology. That's nice. A biblical formula. Look, he tells jokes. They make He makes me laugh and the jokes are funny. I don't care. There's a biblical formula. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. You're only against this guy and that guy. And this theology and that theology. Listen, I concede. I concede. I am against the wolf. I am against the apostate. But you know why? It's for you, beloved. It's for you. Because when you have a qualified overseer, these promises will apply to you. Why? Because you have effectuation. Effectuation. Brother James says, you know, is anyone sick? Go to the elders. So you can go to the elders and be healed. You know, there are people today The ones who today say that, oh, you know what, the Holy Spirit, the power, the moving, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. That was another dispensation. You know what they're revealing to you? They're already out of gas. They're not running on empty. They're just straight up empty. I'll put it another way. They have no oil in their lamps. They have no oil in their lamps. What do you think will happen when they go to their pastor or elder and request request the prayer like Brother James says. What do you think is going to happen? You know where Brother James says, is anyone sick? Go to, your, go to your elder. Is anyone sick? Go to your overseer. What's going to happen in certain denominations when they're going to do exactly that? 
and there is no healing. How can there be healing? When the formula is wrong, how can there be healing? You see? And I'm talking about in-person, face-to-face, anointing with oil, wanting healing. What do you think is going to happen? I'll give you the answer. Nothing. Nothing. No healing. Oh, but Brother James says, go to the elders, and I'm going to the elders. Okay, you are going to the elders, but are the elders biblically qualified? Do the elders biblically meet the qualifications for overseer? Because if the answer is no, you could say, well, it's the elder, it's their fault. Well, hold the phone there, my friend. What about you? When the Bible specifically outlines the formula for overseer, why are you in submission to this person where the formula is wrong? The elder is in the wrong, the pastor is in the wrong, and also the person is in the wrong. Why? Because they submitted themselves to to somebody who had the wrong formula. No formula. You see? So Brother James says, go to your elder. He's going to pray for you the anointing. Anointing with oil. A person's going to do that and nothing's going to happen. It's not because the Bible isn't true. It's because it's the wrong formula. You see? And the answer people give today for having no oil or no power, oh, that was for another dispensation. That was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore. In this dispensation, what's being revealed are the foolish virgins. Now, take that with a grain of salt too because you know one can question whether they are virgins to begin with. These are things that are being exposed and they will continue to be exposed in the last days. I mean, they've always been exposed, but they're really going to be exposed because people were realizing, oh, the Bible says, you know, go to the elders. I go to the elders and nothing's happening. Does that mean the Bible is fake? No way. The elder is fake. Wrong formula. You see, I remember a time I had a friend, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. His shoulder was really, really busted up. And the medics, they wanted to, you know, operate and all this. And he was just really messed up. And we were in a situation where if your shoulder's messed up, I mean, it's not good. I mean, it, it's, it, you, you, you had to be like, you know, serviceable. You had to be, you know, operative in terms of capable. I mean, it was a, a different kind of environment. And so... The, the, the medics told him, you know, like, hey, your shoulder's busted up. They confirmed it. And, you know, and we were with these Christians, you know, we were, you know, with these Christians. And it was, it was, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I, I was, you know, I was Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism. But, you know, I was hanging with my friend. He was a, he was a Christian. And so we were with these other Christians, a, a church group. And, I, you know, I hadn't been with Christians like, you know, of this caliber, like ever in my life. And my friend, he starts to rub his shoulder like in pain, like grimace in pain. And one of the guys says, you know, what's wrong of this church group? 
And it's all oh, my shoulders just out of whack, you know. And I'm like sitting there and I'm just, I knew his shoulders out of whack, you know. And then the, the guy's like listening to my friend. He'd explain like, yeah, I have this pain. And he just says, okay, you know, stop right there. Not, 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 not a mean sense. Just like, okay, just hold on. And he looks over and he calls for some men. He says, you know, points, hey guys, come over here. And these men come, not like, not like, you know, big, huge behemoths, you know, they're just regular guys. And he explained the situation, you know, this, there's a problem with this shoulder. And these guys, unbeknownst to me, they were elders. I didn't, I didn't know that they were elders. I just see guys are here, you know. And one of them says, okay, let's pray. And, you know, I'm kind of taken aback. I'm like, you know, like. You guys aren't doctors, you know, you guys aren't medical doctors. What are you talking about? You're going to, you know, pray for him. Okay, you know, I'll go along, you know. And so all of a sudden, they put their hands on my friend, on his shoulder. These beautiful, beautiful men. They put their hands on him. And, you know, I kind of like, you know, like I, I closed, I bowed my head and closed my eyes. But I was like, like looking because I wanted to see like, what's what what's going on here? Because... My prior experience in what I thought was Christianity was Catholicism. Little did I know that Catholicism was like completely wrong. The Lord rescued me out of Catholicism. And so like, you know, I bow my head and I'm like looking up and then I see them put their hands on and then I close my eyes and I hear them pray. And as they're praying, I could hear the cracking. And it wasn't a massage job, you know. They didn't put their hands on him and like rub like a little, you know, adjustment of the bones. No, they just put their hands on him. And I could hear the cracking. Pop, pop, crack, crack. I could hear it. It was audible. And then they were done praying. We say amen. They say amen. I say amen. And my friend was blown away. Because he was healed. Me? I was like blown away because he was healed. I could hear the cracks. You see? Healing. And people today, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And then you ask them, well, why is it that you say that it's not for today? Now, nine times out of ten, they're Calvinists. Nine times out of ten, they're Reformed theology, which is Reformed theory, because it's a theory. Nine times out of ten. Well, it's in that dispensation it was for 2,000 years ago because we don't see that today. So they conclude, well, that's because, you know, that was for another dispensation instead of the real conclusion, which is this. They have the wrong formula. You see? The wrong formula. Calvinism, Reformed theology, wrong formula. And if you're Calvinist, Reformed, I love you. I don't say this to like hurt you, harm you, but I do say it to tell you and warn you, hey, you're in harm's way. If you're in a Calvinist church, a Reformed church, Presbyterian, which are, you know, derivatives of Calvinism, you're in danger. You're in harm's way. And we have these resources. Go to thewayunderground.com. Listen to the studies, the resources that we have there about reform theory. It's dangerous. In reform theology, you have pastors today who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. 
Now, remember, here in Hebrews 6, here in Hebrews 6, you know what the writer says? This is elementary. This is baby learning. You see? This is baby stuff. Where in the world are the pastors? Where? In verse 2, we continue in Hebrews 6 of resurrection of the dead. Now, the resurrection is a future event for the saints. It's called the rapture. For Jesus, it happened already. 1 Corinthians 15 says he is the first fruits of the resurrection. That means there will be more fruits of the resurrection. You know what that is? That's you and me. That's us. I remember biblically, the living, the living, the living, the living will by no means will by no means, will by no means precede the dead. This is a future event with very specific blueprints on when it will happen. You can also listen to our studies on the rapture. It's all housed there. Everything's archived for you. There are saints today who have never heard about the rapture of the church. And I've had these conversations very recently. A Christian guy in a Methodist church. And he has never heard about the rapture. Never. You know what's revealed? He has a disqualified shepherd. There are saints today who do not understand the timing of the rapture. I have a friend who was talking about suicide. Killing himself. Killing himself. Suicide. You know why? His words. He said, I was told I wouldn't be here. He sees what's going on in the world today. And he's so depressed. I was told I wouldn't be here. Did everything I believe, has it all been a lie? You see? There's such tender, 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 tender care for the flock of God. Suicidal. Thinking that what he believed about God, about Jesus, was a lie. Instead of coming to the real conclusion that his pastor was the lie. Why? Wrong formula. And to have such tender care from, hey, brother, 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 brother. See that you don't do that. You're taught wrong. Tender care for the flock. But, point me to the pastor. Point me to their so-called shepherd. Remember, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6 says, this is baby stuff. This is elementary. This is baby education. This is like first grade stuff. And I'm not saying stuff, like in terms, like to, no disrespect to the Lord and saying stuff by calling it mere stuff. But these are elementary matters, first grade matters. Baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment in verse two. Oh, don't talk about judgment, hell, or damnation. That's what people say. 
Oh, don't talk about damnation. Why not? Straight up, why not? It's entirely biblical. Why not? Listen, God, he sent his son into the world not, 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 not to condemn the world, but to save. Now listen, if you're not a believer, I'll say it another way. God sent his son into the world not to condemn you, but to save you. You. Because he loves you. Now, if you're listening, you're not a believer, and you didn't heed my prior call to repent, hey, cut it out. Cut it out. It's not a coincidence that you're listening. It's divine appointment. Believe in Jesus. Receive Jesus. Repent, 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 and come to Christ. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you do precisely that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. Remember, the writer of Hebrews, this is elementary, this is baby stuff. You see? Remember verse 1, let us go on to perfection. Verse 1, leaving the discussion of of the elementary principles of Christ. Remember chapter 5? You ought to be teachers by now, but... Because you're not, we got to go back to the basics. We got to go back to milk. You see, here in verse one, here chapter six, let's let us leave the discussion of the elementary principles. You know, first grade, preschool, kindergarten, first grade. Let's leave that. What's encompassed in that? What's entailed in that? The elementary, well, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, baptism. It's like, wait, a second, how is faith toward God elementary? Now, listen. In, 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 just like in, in, um, preschool, you're, you're going to learn, you know, one, two, three in preschool. You're going to know what one is, what two is, what three is. Now, in first grade, you're still going to use the number one, the number two, the number three, but now you're going to use it a little differently. You're going to learn one plus one. In second grade, you're still going to use the one, the two, and the three. But now you're going to learn, you know, like two times two or three times three or three times two. Now, third grade, I forgot what grade we're in, but third or fourth grade, you're still going to use the one, the two, and the three, the very numbers that you learned in preschool. But now you're going to learn 2.4. And understand what point four is. You're going to learn point two, three, two and learn what that, those numbers are. You're going to learn fractions. You're going to learn all kinds of different things. You're going to learn geometry. You're going to learn, learn trigonometry. You're going to learn all kinds of different things. And you're still going to use the number one, the number two, the number three. You see? We go on to perfection. Those basic elementary things is repentance from dead works of faith toward God, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. That's preschool, kindergarten, first grade. Remember, the writer in chapter 5 says, you ought to be teachers by now. But we got to go back to milk. He says in verse 3, the writer, and this we will do if 
God permits. In the Greek, it's if God allows. If God allows and gives us license. That's how verse 3 translates. And this we will do if God allows and gives us license. Now, remember in chapter 5, Hebrews 5, you ought to be teachers. We got to go back to milk. But in Hebrews 6, verse 1, leave the elementary principles of Jesus and let us move on to perfection. You see? Verse 3 says, we will. We're going to move on to perfection. Remember verse 1, let us move on to perfection. We will leave the elementary principles of Christ and let us move on to perfection in verse 1. And verse 3 says, we're going to do this. We will. If, if. If God permits, if God allows and gives us a license. This is where things get heavy, very heavy. I mean, it's all heavy, but especially heavy. Remember our study through the Thessalonian letters? In 2 Thessalonians, turn with me really quick to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one. That's the Antichrist. That is the Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. But this is the actual indwelling of Satan in the Antichrist. And the coming of that guy, the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, today, t- today we live in a time where we see government offices, government agencies, government officials, politicians, they speak such bold lies. You know why? Because biblically, the Antichrist is coming. You see? It's the coming of the lawless one. It's according to the working of Satan. With power, signs, and lying wonders. And I've had these conversations with people. Non-believers. And they see, wow, this guy's such a light. These agencies, they make, they say so bullface lies. Well, Biblically, the Antichrist is coming. It's one of the signs of the last days. One of many signs of the last days. Non-believers who are coming to Christ in these last days. And I've had these conversations. Wow, I thought I never realized this. I never knew this was real. And these Christians over here, they're, they're acting stupid. And these Christians, I see TBN and Tricking Believers Nightly. And I see all this craziness in the churches and all this stuff. It's like, well, that's prophesied too. Crazy town. Prophetically speaking, judgment comes first to the church. That means the church is going to be crazy town in the last days. Look at this alignment. Look at the convergence of things that we see. The church is crazy town. We see the lying wonders. You see? This is just, there's many. Euphrates River. Look at what's happening. Today, for such a time as this, the Euphrates River is drying up. You see pictures, you can go online and see the pictures of the Euphrates River. It's like, wow, like this is such a mighty river. And now it's just like, you know, dirt. 
You know why the Bible says that the Euphrates River is going to be dry? It's to make way for the kings of the east. At the Battle of Armageddon, they're going to go through the Euphrates River. They're not going to like float over the river because it's going to be gone. It's going to be dried up. And they're going to make... It's it's on their way to fight against Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. You look at nations today that are aligning together. Iran, Russia, China, kings of the East. You see? What's east of Jerusalem? You see? China, Russia, Iran. And the Euphrates River is drying up. And that's going to be a roadway that they pass to fight against Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. We are living in the last days. The Antichrist is coming. And you have Christians today. Oh, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. They believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, which is unbiblical. Completely, 100% unbiblical. Listen to our studies. It's all archived there. TheWayUnderground.com. Learn about the rapture, the timing of the rapture. It is not pre-tribulation. You see? Look at verse 10. We're still in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception. We certainly see that today. Unrighteous deception. Among those who perish. This is a very, very sobering reality. I, 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 don't, I don't want to just gloss over this. Like, okay, among those who perish, you know, have a nice day. No, this is very sobering. God is not willing that any should perish. Now you know why the Bible says he's long-suffering. Because he's not willing that any should perish. But those who perish, it happens for a reason. Why? As is written. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, the Calvinist, the Reformed says, well, they're predestined for hell. You know what the Bible says? They did not receive the love of the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. Dekomai is the word in the Greek. Dekomai. They did not receive. Dekomai. It's a process. It's to accept, to receive, and to take. Remember the example we gave several, I guess several months ago by now, but you know, about the gift? You come knocking on my door. Answer. You say, hey, how you doing? And I say, who are you? <laughs> but you have a gift for me. You have a gift for me. And you say, here, I have a gift for you. And I say, hey, get out of here. And I throw your gift to the street. I didn't receive your gift. I didn't even accept your gift. But then say, for example, you come and knock in and I open it. You say, hey, I have a gift for you. 
I say, okay, thanks. Just leave it at the doorstep. Have a nice day. You walk by a month later and it's still at the doorstep exactly where you left it. I still haven't accepted it. It's there. I mean, it, you, you were giving it to me. But in both cases, I didn't accept it. Now, say another example, you know. You come and knocking. I open the door. Hey, how you doing? You say, I got a gift for you. Now I take it. Say, thanks. Have a nice day. Close the door. You go on your way. I go on my way. But I leave it at the door. You see, I accepted it. But I didn't receive it. It's still, it's still packaged up. It's still got the bow on it. It's not been tore open. The bows hasn't been touched. It's, it's there. But I haven't opened it. See? Now you come again. I open it. You say, hey, I got a gift for you. What is this? You have a gift for me? I don't even know you. You know how filthy I am? I don't know. I don't even know you. And you're going to give me a gift? Why are you being so good to me? I don't even know you. And not just that. I meant like you're like nice and I'm like mean and violent and you know, alcohol, the drugs. I mean, in this example, I'm not saying that's me. I'm just giving this example. And you're like, yeah, I have this gift for you. And you have a smile on your face, and I'm like, I like a scared smile. Like, what? What is it? Gonna, am I gonna open it? It's gonna blow up in my face. Like, so I, I undo the bow. I undo the wrap, and it opens up, and it's, it's a little box. I open up the box, and it is something I've always wanted my whole life, and I don't even know you. Like what? I don't, I'm so filthy. The sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards. I'm so filthy. And you come at me with this gift. And not just a gift, not like, you know, run of the mill gift. This is something that is so precious. Nobody ever knew how precious it was to me. And here it is. You gave it to me. And then I fall in love with you. Oh my goodness. I don't know you, but I want to know you. And I love you. You see what's happened? There's a gift. It wasn't left at the door. It wasn't left on the door outside. It wasn't thrown to the street. It wasn't left at the door on the inside. No, it was in my hands. I did the bow. I did the wrapper. I did the box. And boom, there it was, this gift. The gift isn't the bow. The gift isn't the wrapper. The gift isn't the box. The gift is what's inside. And then I fall in love with you. See, dekomai is the word in the Greek 
because they did not receive the love of the truth. Yes, salvation is a gift. But the question is, who receives the gift? And that's Jesus. I stand at the door and knock, and if you are here, I will come in and sup with you. Intimacy with the Lord, the Son of the Most High. You see? How beautiful to know that Jesus Christ The gift of salvation is the very thing that we're saved. The Christian is saved. People say, oh, you know, don't speak about hell. Don't talk about hell. Number one, that's, you know, elementary. You know, the the eternal judgment, verse 2, and then Hebrews 6, verse 2, you know, uh, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. It's like, wait a second. Well, if, if God sent his son into the world, not to condemn, but to save, but save from what? You don't want me to talk about hell, but save from what? You see? That's why Christians has have such profound love of Jesus. I say Christians, but I'm talking about remnant. Remnant. Still in 2 Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. Notice, when there is no, they did not receive the love of the, they they did not decomai the love of the truth, which is to accept, receive, and then take. Because the Calvinists say, well, they're predestined for hell. Oh, he was never really a believer. She was never really a believer. But that's Calvinism. It's unbiblical. That's a doctrine that says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see? That's hellfire damnation. Never take the mark of the beast. Don't you ever take the mark of the beast. Don't you ever, 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 ever take the mark of the beast. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see? You know what that is? Pleasure in unrighteousness? You know what that is? That's bad works. Bad works. You know what bad works is? No obedience. It aligns perfectly with what Brother James says. Bad works, no belief of the truth. Bad works, no belief. Good works, belief. Remember, it's a package deal. Package deal. Faith and works, package deal. Remember, you and me go get a burger and we say, hey, give me number one. It's not, we're not getting like, you know, a singular item because the number one is a package deal. Burger, fries, soda. You see? package deal. What Paul writes about, what he speaks about, aligns perfectly with what Brother James writes about. Aligns perfectly with Ezekiel. Aligns perfectly with Moses. Aligns perfectly with Joshua. Aligns perfectly with Peter. Why? Same spirit, same master, same home. Same camp. It doesn't align with Calvinism, Reformed, the money preachers, the grave soakers, Catholicism, Mormons. Why? It cannot. It cannot. Those are other ships. Those are other ships. There's a reason why we say jump ship. 
Remember, Hebrews 6, verse 1 and 3. Verse 1 says, let us go on to perfection. But verse 3 in Hebrews 6, verse 3 says, if God permits. You see? It's the love truth. A deep, 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 profound love of the truth. Now, when that applies, a deep, profound love of the truth, let us move on to perfection. But when it doesn't apply, where there's no love of the truth, there is also no moving on to perfection. You see? Hebrews 6, verse 3 says, and we're going to do this. We're going to move on to perfection. And verse 3 says, this we will do if God permits. You see, I know this is very difficult in terms of the pain associated with this truth. But you and me, remember, you and me, we yield to the word. We yield to the word. Remember, God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but to save. You say, wait a second, these are condemning passages. If God sent his son into the world not to condemn, but these are condemning passages. Yes, they are condemning passages. I mean, you know, uh, that they should believe the lie in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's a condemning passage. I mean, in Hebrews 6 verse 3, and this we'll do if God permits. That's, you know, kind of condemning, you know, depending on the condition, depending on the situation, depending on the scenario. If God permits. These are condemning passages. Yes, absolutely. I agree. But as in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and today. They condemn themselves. They condemn themselves. Because once truth goes forth, ball's in our court. Once truth goes forth, ball's in my court. Once truth goes forth, ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. You see? People condemn themselves. Truth goes forth. And when there's no love of the truth, there is no moving on to perfection. That's why we see in Hebrews 6, verse 3, and this we will do, which is, you know, verse 1, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And in verse 3, listen, we're going to do that if God permits. Now, if God permits within the framework of what we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because it is also written, where there's no love of the truth, you see strong delusion that they should believe the lie, which is condemning. But no love of the truth? A person does it to themselves. A guy does it to himself. A female does it to herself. They condemn themselves. Just as we see in the Old Testament. Let's go back to Hebrews 6 now. In Hebrews 6, verse 3, And this we will do if God permits. Now, we see here in verse 4, For it is impossible. It is impossible for those. Now, there is specificity here. Who does this apply to? 
And the writer here says it is impossible. Hebrews 6 verse 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, and have tasted the good word. Now, this isn't logos. The Greek here is rhema. This is Rhema is the utterance of holy matters as being poured out. Like when Paul would teach. Remember the when he was teaching all night long, the guy fell asleep and fell out the window in our study in the book of Acts. Remember when that happened? When Paul would teach, carnally speaking, carnally speaking, a guy is speaking. I mean, carnally speaking, it's just the guy talking. Spiritually speaking, there is holiness pouring out, the outpouring of his heart. Because, I mean, carnally speaking, it's just the guy talking. Spiritually speaking, such beautiful, beautiful, holy matters are pouring out of his mouth, which Jesus says, you know, it's not what goes in the, in the, the mouth which defiles a man, but what comes out because it's the outpouring of the heart. What is outpouring of Paul's heart when he's teaching? Holiness. Instruction in righteousness. And that's what rhema is. It's not logos. It's rhema. It's the utterance of holy matters. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing. But very specific. It's not just faith comes by hearing and, you know, anything. You know, faith comes by hearing, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Holy matters. Because when the Lord does the work inside of a person, then the Lord does, you know, I love how the mouth, it's not like at our feet level. Our mouths are at the upper level on our head, above our necks, above our shoulders. You know what that means? Is when new wine goes in new wineskin, which is you and me. I mean, I hope, prayerfully, you know, we're not old wineskins. We are, we reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead. We are new wineskins. And I love how our mouths are above our shoulders. That means new wine pours in. It's like, you know, at the toe level. It's at the ankle level. It's at the knee level. It's at the hip level. It's at the chest level. It's at the neck level. It's at the chin level. And then all of a sudden, boom, mouth level. And it pours out. I love that. It pours out. But currently speaking, it's just a guy talking. No big deal. Just a guy talking. But who has ears to hear and eyes to see? No. That's new wineskin with new wine. And it is pouring out of Paul. It is pouring out of Timothy. It is pouring out of Peter. You see? It poured out of Isaiah. It poured out of Jeremiah. It poured out of Chloe. It poured out of Priscilla. It poured out of Lydia. The mouths are at the knee. 
The mouths aren't at the ankle. Our mouths are above our necks. See? I love that. The utterance of holy matters. And we have in verse 5, a people defined. They've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. This speaks of paradise. Remember, verse 4 and 5, these are believers who were, past tense, partakers of the Holy Spirit. But in the course of time, they did what the Bible warns against. You know what they did? They quenched the Spirit. You know what that is in the Greek? To quench the Spirit is to extinguish the Holy Spirit. And that's what they've done. They've tasted the good word, the good rhema, and no obedience. Now, the Calvinists would say, and the Reformed Presbyterian, oh, he was never a believer. She was never a believer. And they say that because of once saved, always saved. But that doctrine of once saved, always saved, it is unbiblical. The Bible gives clear definition of what happened in this particular case. A person walked away. A person fell away. It's the short-term believer that Jesus speaks of in Luke chapter 8, verse 13. It's a name that has been blotted out from the book of life. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. That's the biblical formula. Once saved, stay saved. You see? Good works. Package deal. Faith. Believe and obedience. Notice what is being identified here. You have former believers in verse 4 and 5. They've, they've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. And they become partakers of the Holy Spirit. But through their quenching of the Spirit or extinguishing the Holy Spirit, grieving the Spirit and extinguishing Him, they've tasted the good word of God, the rhema, as being poured out, the utterance of holy matters as being poured out. And have tasted the powers of the age to come. They've learned about paradise. They've been taught about paradise. And verse 6 describes what happens if they fall away. Remember, verse 4 says, at the beginning of verse 4, it is impossible. When this, In this situation, for this type of person who was once enlightened, partakers of the Spirit, they've heard, they've tasted the rhema. Holy matters being poured out. They've learned about the powers of the age to come, about paradise. Now, verse 6 says, when that person, male, female, it doesn't matter. When that person, if they fall away, in verse 6, to renew them again to repentance. The beginning of verse 4 says it's impossible. It's impossible to what? Well, verse 6 says, to renew them again to repentance. I'm going to say something that is very, very borderline heretical. Very borderline. It's not heretical, but it's borderline. 
And it's painful to say, very painful. But I am thankful. I am thankful for false teachings. You're like, whoa, did he just say what I think he said? Yes. It's not for the false teaching. It is not for the false teacher. It's not for the poison, but for the soul of the person that is presently under false teaching. Because with false teaching, the formula is wrong. And when the formula is wrong, there is hope. There is always hope that a person can be renewed to repentance. Because verse 6 here says, if they fall away, remember verse beginning of verse 4, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And that's why I say I'm thankful. Not, not for the false teaching. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm thankful for false teaching because it's false teaching. I'm thankful for, for false teaching because the effectuation of this truth does not apply. Because the formula is wrong. And I don't like that the formula is wrong. For the sake of the false teaching, the false teacher nor for the poison. But I'm thankful because of the person. I'll give you an example. The grave soakers. Good old Redding, California. Megachurch. Global outreach. Grave soakers. Very false doctrine. New apostolic reformation. Very, very false, very dangerous, unbiblical, necromancy, an abomination before the Lord. Grave soaking, an abomination before the Lord. I'm not thankful for the doctrine. I'm not thankful for the false teaching, the false teacher, and the poison. I am not thankful for that. But I am thankful for the person in those pews, for the people in those pews. Why? Because there remains hope for them. You see? Jump ship. Jump ship. There's a reason why we say jump ship. There is coming a time where, you know, the door of grace, it's going to be closed. And I know it sounds like a shock. Like, did he just say what I think he said? Did he just say he's thankful for the false teachings? False teachings? It's not for the sake of the false teaching. It's for the sake of the person. You see? For the sake of the person. Because when the formula is right, where you have the formula is right, where there's, you know, safety, the formula is right, and the pastor in the sanctuary pouring into the believers, and the believers are growing, and boom, the formula is right. Now, if a person is there and falls away, the formula is right in the church, formula is right in the pastor, formula is right in the elders, formula is right in doctrine, formula is right in everything. 
you know, they're still babies and they're still, you know, babies have to be addressed and, you know, you know, 1%, 10%, you know, 8%, you know, repent, okay, now 10%, 12%, move on to perfection. We all come to Jesus at 0% and, you know, we move on from there, go on 30%, 40, 50, 60, 70. They're still going to be like, okay, 25 and 22. They're still gonna, that's still going to happen. But a person is in the safety of ecclesia and koinonia and episunagage as outlined in the word of God. If that person falls away from there, you know what the Bible says? It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. And that's painful. That hurts. That's sobering. That's sad. That kills me. So you take a church like that where the formula is right and you put a church like that on a boat and that boat is cruising along the sea and it comes alongside another boat where the doctrine is not safe, where they do the grave soaking and on the side of the good boat, they're saying, hey, jump ship, jump ship. Well, it's like the the plank is laid out. All you got to do is just walk across. Jump ship, jump ship. I know it sounds like a shock to hear me say, wow, is he thankful for false teachings? Understand, it is not for the false teacher. But it's for the person. It's for the soul of that person. And there's hope. I mean, formula being wrong is definitely not a good thing. But if you, my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful friend, if you are under the wrong formula, wrong covering, wrong doctrine, wrong formula in you, you, you must repent and jump ship, you must. You see? You must. I'm not thankful for false teachings for the false teaching. But I'm thankful that the effectuation of verse 6 leaves room for you to repent and jump ship. That's And I say that specifically to the person who's under false doctrine. Jump ship. There is a better way. There is the safety. Remember when Paul is speaking to Timothy and Paul says, you know, teach sound doctrine for in so doing, you will save yourself and those who hear you. It's sound doctrine. It also sounds crazy if you hear us say, you know, like, like it sounds terrible. And I know it sounds terrible. But I'm also thankful for the tribulation. You're like, oh, my, you know, this, this double whammy. First he says he's thankful for false teaching. Now he says he's thankful for tribulation. Yes. But understand, I'm not thankful for the false teaching because of the false teaching and for the false teaching, nor for the teacher. It is specifically for the person. That there is hope. Because this door of grace is still open. Not as open as it was a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years, five years ago, it's not as open, but it's still open. 
but it's gonna close. When it's closed, done. The fullness of the Gentiles, done. No more opportunity. The biblical Jesus is not Calvinist or Reformed. Look at, look at with Laodicea in the Bible, Revelation. You read Revelation 2 and 3, there's you know, uh, seven churches. But with Laodicea, in Laodicea, the biblical Jesus is on the outside. He's not inside the church. The biblical Jesus is not inside with the Laodiceans. And the biblical Jesus does not say, well, they were never believers. Jesus is on the outside. And the Jesus of the Bible does not say, oh, the Laodiceans, they were never believers. Oh, that group of those guys over there, they never believed. Those ladies over there, they never believed. Him, her, she, never believed. You know, this old guy over here, this old lady over here, the young lady, they're Laodiceans, they never believed. The biblical Jesus, he says, repent. Repent. It's the fake Jesus that says they were never saved. Followers of the fake Jesus say, oh, they were never saved. You say, how dare you say fake Jesus? It's one of the signs of the last days. The disciples asked Jesus, the biblical Jesus, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? One of the signs are the false teachers. The false teachers who will speak other Christ. False doctrines. False teachers and other Christs. It's one of the signs of the last days. One of many signs of the last days. You see? And Brother Paul says that it's the servants of Satan who present another Jesus, another gospel with another spirit. I mean, you hear me say like, you know, like I'm I'm thankful for the tribulation. You know why? Because these false teachings, the false teachings They're going to be proven for their falsities. Amen. Brother James says, you know, is anyone sick? Go to your elders. And there's going to be a lot of sickness during tribulation. Am I thinking, you know, oh, he's thankful for the tribulation. Am I thankful for the sickness? No. But people are going to do exactly what Brother James says. You know, hey, elder, I'm sick. Oh, hey, elder, my baby girl, she's sick. Brother James says, you know, pray and anoint. And then nothing's going to happen. And people are going to realize, you know, is, is the Bible fake? Brother James says, do this and I'm doing that and nothing's happening. Remember, the effectuation a very specific recipe, very specific formula, and people are going to realize this during the tribulation. And they're going to realize, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I I say people are going to realize, but the remnant is going to realize. Those who love the truth. Those who profoundly love the truth. Because remember, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3, if God permits... Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to move on to perfection. We're going to leave the elementary principles of Christ, as verse 1 says in Hebrews 6, if God permits, in verse 3. 
if God permits. When does God permit? When there's love of the truth. No love of the truth? That's judgment. That they should believe the lie. So why in the world is this guy that I'm listening to right now, he says he's thankful for the tribulation and thankful for the false teacher? Well, it's not a blanket statement like, you know, thankful for the tribulation because of, you know, the, the death and destruction. And, you know, thankful for the false teachers because of poison. No. But I'm thankful because of the hope that it presents. For those who love the truth. And people are going to realize, well, the, you know, Brother James says, I think my, you know, baby girl's sick. Baby girl's like sick. She's dying. Brother James says, take her to the elder. So I take her to the elder. Nothing happens. Then you realize, wow, the elder's a sex head. He does his crack. He's on his fifth marriage. His daughter's a sex head. His son's a sex head. They do their crystals, their chakras. And then you realize, oh my goodness, the formula's wrong in them. I'm taking my baby girl who's sick and dying. I'm taking her to somebody who's disqualified. You see? They're going to realize like, oh my goodness, I've been in false doctrine. I've been under the false teacher. Oh my goodness, I've been, I've been submitting myself to the false teacher. I took baby girl to the wolf. I took baby girl to the false teacher. And you know what's going to happen when there's love of the truth? I repent, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. And because the formula for qualifications, full package qualifications, it's been outlined. The Lord is the one who leaked the pastoral epistles. Now the guy, the lady can take baby girl, get, you know, qualified, overseer. Baby girl's sick. And boom, effectuation. Baby girl healed. Brother James isn't wrong. Is anyone sick? Go to the elder. Brother James isn't wrong. But the formula's got to be right. I know it comes as a shock. Or this guy is thankful for false teaching. This guy is thankful for tribulation. Well, I just outlined the conditions by which I'm thankful for those things. And yes, absolutely, I do not recant. Because of hope. Hope. You see? Perilous times are coming. I mean, perilous times are here. But it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to grow even more perilous. Even more perilous. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. The falling away is prophesied. Saints will fall away. Apostasia. Now where there's love of the truth. You and me together, we must have a deep, 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 profound love of the truth. I don't care how much it hurts. We got to love the truth. And not just today, not just tomorrow, but until the very end. You see? Now they say, 
where Jesus is on the outside. You don't see in the Bible where Jesus, you know, loud to say, you have people who believe they're in a church, except Jesus is on the outside. And you don't see in the Bible where Jesus says, well, they were never really saved. Oh, I'm on the outside. So these people on the inside of loud to say, they're never really saved. Because the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name, the real Jesus says, repent, 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 repent. What do the prophets say? Repent, 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 repent. What do the prophets of today say? Repent, 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 repent. What do the false teachers say? Oh, they were never saved. She was never a Christian. He was never a Christian. Whoa. W-O-E. Whoa! Exclamation point. The biblical Jesus says, this is going to be on overdrive in the last days. Many Christs, many false teachers. But when the formula is right, a person who has been enlightened, just as we see in verse 4 here in Hebrews 6, but it's the opposite. It's the good enlightened. Because listen, verse 4 and 5 and 6, the beginning of verse 6. Look at verse 4, 5, and 6. Verse 4, Hebrews 6. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, if Calvinism were true, this person was once saved. And according to Calvinism, this person should always be saved. But then the Bible says in verse 6, if they fall away, remember that it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Once saved, always saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Names can be blotted out of the book of life. And I don't say that to scare and terrify, even though it's scary and terrifying. I don't say it to scare and terrify. I mean, you take s'mores. You and me are going camping. You know, we take s'more. We're going to have s'mores. You know, the marshmallow, the chocolate, the little cookie or whatever it's called. And we're going to make s'mores. Well, there's going to be a fire. I mean, we can die with that fire. It's scary and terrifying. But when handled properly... We can have beautiful s'mores. We can have beautiful conversation. We can have beautiful laughs. We can pray. We can rejoice. We can fellowship together. Koinonia, Ecclesia, it's love feast. But with the fire, we can also die. With the fire, we can also burn to death. But handled properly, we can have beautiful fellowship. You see? There are sobering realities with the truth of God's word. But when handled properly, it's, it's beautiful. Just like the s'mores. You see? 
So you hear me say, you know, thankful for false teachings and thankful for tribulation. I know it sounds crazy, but I gave the reason why I'm thankful. It is for the soul of the person who has ears to hear. And people are going deaf in these last days. People are going blind in these last days as prophesied. Not completely blind, not completely deaf. This door of grace, it's not closed yet, but it is closing. And I have to emphasize verse 3. If God permits, if God permits, and I don't say that in a Calvinistic sense. Well, you know, God is sovereign if God permits. I say this in a very biblical and reverent sense that yes, God is sovereign. And if God permits, how does God permit? Well, he outlines, remember, his mercy. There's condition behind his mercy. As the Bible says, to those who love me and obey me. That's the condition for God's mercy. The Calvinist says, well, you know, God is merciful to, you know, he has mercy to whom he has mercy. Which is a biblical truth. But it is also written to those who love me and obey me. Oh, but Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. Who obeyed? Who obeyed? Jacob. Esau? Lying fornicator, as the Bible says. You see, Jacob made his choice. Ball was in his court. Esau made his choice. Ball was in his court. In the case of Jacob and Esau, with both of them, Ball was in their court. Who chose wisely? Jacob. Who chose wrongly? Esau. Mercy is conditional. To those who love me and obey me. And verse 6, here in Hebrews, or yeah, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6 says, If they fall away, remember, it's impossible in verse 4, to renew them again to repentance. Now, why is this impossible? Because here it is written, since they crucify again, in the Greek is to re-crucify. They crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, Nobody, nobody likes to think about the biblical possibility of bringing shame to Jesus. Instead, people say, well, we're not saved by works and, you know, we all sin. Which nowadays is an excuse. It's an excuse. Oh, we all sin, you know, no one is righteous, we all sin. It's a biblical truth. But don't forget that it is also written. That is true. We're not saved by works. But we are saved for works. You see? And it is a biblical truth that we all sin. But let us sin less. You're never going to be sinless. I'm never going to be sinless. I mean, when we're sinless, we're at 100%. Which is, you're dead. You're not in the flesh. You see? 
are never going to be sinless in this life. In these earth suits, wrapped up in the flesh, wrapped up in these earth suits that we presently wear, we're not going to be sinless. You're not going to be sinless. I'm not going to be sinless. But as we grow from zero, we go to one, two, three, four, five, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, we sin less and less and less. The sin today in my life is definitely not like the sin 25 years ago. I mean, sometimes, you know, I'm talking to Christians like, yeah, I repented of this. And they're like, what? Like, you had to repent of that? Like, what? Like, like, I, I, like, how is that a bad thing? Well, listen, in my conscience, certain things are bad. You see? Remember the conscience? How much care the conscience the Lord considers, you know, is somebody who like sears and goes against the conscience of another. You have blasphemed Christ. Remember our study in Romans? You take a baby believer who does not have the depth of understanding. They're babies. It's not for a mature Christian to say, oh, you're just a dumb baby. You don't understand this. No, because if in that baby's conscience, in that baby's conscience, something is not right to him or her. And the Bible says the mature Christian has to respect that. Now, it's biblical. It is all wrapped in the mind. Somebody says, well, it's not in my conscience to, you know, to, to, uh, 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 you know, to speak negatively about, you know, worshiping Buddha, you know, the, the wrong formula, wrong formula. The formula has got to be right. So, you know, like, oh, you know, don't go against my conscience because, you know, I want to honor Buddha. No, 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 no. That, 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 that wrong formula. But when the formula is right in a baby, you're like, how can the baby even have the formula? How can a baby not have the formula? When they're, they're no longer 0%. If they're at 1%, if they're at 2%, if they're at 3%, there's a formula there. It might not be, you know, 80% or 70%, but it's not 0%. There is a formula. And the formula, it's got to align with the Word of God. And when that happens, it's not for somebody who's more mature to like an 80 percenter to say, oh, you know, you're just a baby. You're so stupid. No, it's for the 80 percenter. Remember the rugby match to play rugby with the two percenter, just like the rugby match. And then through fellowship, the the aid of the three percenter can be, you know, like on a fast track to five percent, 10 percent, 30 percent, 40 percent fast track. Why? Through fellowship. Koinonia, Ecclesia, the formula's got to be right. When the formula's wrong, you're not going to have that. When the formula's wrong, you're going to have people who are a detriment. Where, you know, it's like, well, we're supposed to have fellowship of the saints, fellowship of the saints. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have a fellowship that doesn't align with the word of God. Fellowship, I mean, look, look at the case of Corinth. Look at the case of Corinth where Paul says to Christians, they gather for church. They gather for church, the gathering of the saints. And Paul says, 
He says, you guys, your rejoicing is not good. Whoa, Paul's so mean. How is it that Paul says, they rejoice? Look, it's their Christians. They're gathering of the saints. And Paul says, your rejoicing isn't good. You know why? There was leaven in the camp. You see, three years, uncorrected sin, walking according to the flesh for three years. Pastors, they had to pass their parking spot. They stood at the pulpit, but were they pastors? Nope. They can call themselves pastors all they want, but were they biblically qualified? The answer is no. See? And so Paul says, okay, remnant, those who have a love of the truth, a profound love of the truth, okay, remnant, separate from the leaven. You see? so important so powerful you see to take advantage of god's grace that's a forbidden thing it brings shame to jesus it brings shame to jesus look at the shameful things that we see in the church today let's forget the pews let's look at the pulpit Look at the shameful things we see in the pulpit today. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Pastors who are drug dealers. And yes, it's happening. A youth pastor who wanted to do his sex with a kid. The kid fought back and all of a sudden he cut him up in pieces. Threw his torso in a dumpster by a so-called pastor. See, pastors who do the sex, they do the drugs, they do the alcohol, they do the Ouija boards, they are disqualified. And that's just the, the pastor community disqualified. You, you say, oh, that's so mean, that's so mean. Listen, remember the auto mechanics? We're in the city, a hundred auto shops. 90 are disqualified, and here's why. But 10 are good. You're going to take your car to one of the 10. How much more your soul? You might live in a city where there's a thousand churches. But three are safe. You might live in a city where there's a hundred churches. Two are safe. How much more the soul? People say, oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. But let me, let me tell you something. When, whenever people, oh, you're such a legalist, in my experience, the ones who say this are often the leaven. And when leaven speaks, understand it's leaven. You see, remember, we go 0% to 100%. 0%, we come to Jesus at, at 0%. When you're at 100%, when you reach 100%, you're going to be dead. You see, and it's not a straight shot. It's not like 1, 2, 3, it's like, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and all the way to 100. No, it's not a straight shot. It's, you know, 5%, 10%, 12 and then, you know, you're going to maybe go to like 5% again because you walked according to the flesh. 
You see, 5%, then 6%, 8%, 12%, 18%, 22%, and then like, boom, 15%. So it's like you're going to have the ups and downs of life. You will have the ups and downs. But the aggregate, remember, we're moving closer to 100%. We move on to perfection. Now, we move on to perfection in verse 3, if God permits. If God permits. Love of the truth, okay, God permits. And obedience, okay, God permits. Remember God's mercy to those who love me and obey me? Okay. That's the framework, what God permits. Okay, let's move forward. But no love of the truth? Oh, you know what? I'm going to go grave soaking. Will God permit? Oh, I'm going to take the mark of the beast. My pastor says I'll still be saved. Will God permit? You see, today at this present time, there is that glimmer of hope for those who are trapped in false doctrine. There is that glimmer of hope, which is why we say jump ship, repent. It's the same. Jesus says it in Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches, two are right. Two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, those pastors are awesome. Those shepherds, those overseers, we're talking full package overseers, full package pastors in Smyrna and Philadelphia. Qualified. Jesus doesn't tell them to repent. You know why? Because they're right before the Lord. Those saints in Smyrna and Philadelphia. But that's the minority. That's the remnant. To the others, the other five, you know what Jesus says? Repent. He doesn't say, oh, they were never believers. You know, I'm just going to focus on Smyrna and Philadelphia. The other five, they were never believers. That's what the Calvinist says. But the biblical Jesus, not the fake one, the biblical one, the fake one says, oh, they were never believers. The real Jesus, whose word is above his name, he says, repent. Repent, 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 repent. Not thankful for Laodicea. You see? But for the people in Laodicea, repent. You see? The pastors of Smyrna and Philadelphia, beautiful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And Jesus doesn't say to them, repent. Why? Because they're in good standing before the Lord. Clean before the Lord. Only the clean can clean. Those pastors, I can't wait to meet them. Because I want to hug them. Beautiful. And at the same time, you look at the other five. Repent, repent, repent. Repent, repent. Oh, they were never believers. That's the Calvinist, which is unbiblical. And in these last days, the Calvinist teachers, they're teaching, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Alive from the pit of hell because they serve their father, Satan. That's why. You see? Here in verse 6, in Hebrews 6, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. 
since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Look at the shameful things that are happening in the church. Look at the shameful things that are happening in the church. The sex, the molestation, the murder, the money preachers. Look at the shameful things that are happening in the church. That's why the Bible says, prophetically speaking, judgment comes first to the church. You think God is happy about it? With what he sees in the church today? No. No. And people, oh, we don't see the word church after Revelation chapter 4 because they've been raptured, pre-tribulation rapture. No. They've been judged. Because you see the word saint. You see? It's a different... Different battlefield. The posture of the saint in the last days. In verse 7 in Hebrews 6, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, notice, not herbs. Verse 7 is the herbs. And verse 8 is the thorns and briars. And where you see the thorns and briars? It is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now, Jesus also speaks of thorns. Jesus also speaks of thorns in Luke chapter 8. We always look at Luke chapter 8, verse 13, but let's look at Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Arrested development. It comes at a heavy cost. A heavy cost. In play is the risk of falling away. Where there's arrested development, in play is the risk of falling away. Where a Christian is 30 percent, 20 percent, 15 percent, 10 percent, 5 percent, 1 percent, zero. At zero, what happens? At zero, they meet Jesus. But when it's the other way around, going, you know, 30, 20, 10, Three, two, one, zero. At zero on the other side is where they leave Jesus. You see? That's the formula that we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. Look at Korah. You see? In Hebrews 6, verse 7 says, The earth bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated. You know what cultivation is? Work. Work. Faith is a package. I meant to cultivate. If you want good fruit, if you want to have like, you know, I don't know, like um, the best tomatoes, there's, there's work involved. There's cultivation involved. There's soil. There's, I mean, it, 
You talk with someone in horticulture, I mean, like, they get the, the nitty-gritty of horticulture and, like, you know, growing animal or not animal, <laughs> growing plants, you know, horticulture. You talk to one of those guys or one of those gals, I mean, it's like, they do, like, you know, the soil, con they test everything, they test this, they test that. I mean... I mean, you have the old school, you know, nowadays they have like the technology that does it, but old school, I mean, their hands are like leather because they work the land, they till the land. But when you eat of that fruit, oh my goodness, those are the best tomatoes you've ever had in your life. That's cultivation. That's work. Remember, faith is a package deal. Faith is a package deal. Which includes works. It's true that we're not saved by works. We come to Jesus at 0%. But we're saved for works. And being saved for works, we move from 0% to 5% to 10 to 20 to, and we grow, we mature in Christ. See? It's powerful. Notice in verse 9, I mean, you, you, you look at verse 5, you know, you, or chapter 5. In chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, like, you know, some of you, 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 not some, like, you ought to be teachers by now. But, you know, let's go back to milk. We got to go back to milk. And now that we're back to milk, it's like, okay, now, you know, we're going to get, you know, you guys are babies for a reason. Now, in chapter 6, now we got to address, you know, let's let's leave preschool let's leave kindergarten let's leave first grade and let us go on to perfection so what is elementary okay you know the doctrine of you know instruction of baptisms laying out of hands resurrection of dead eternal judgment that's that's elementary now let's move on to fifth grade sixth grade seventh grade let's move on to perfection if god permits now when god permits it's to those god's mercy remember to those who love me and obey me and if god permits those who love the truth, where you don't see that, where you don't see love of the truth, where you don't see obedience, will God permit? Will God permit? And I don't know that's very sobering, but it's just like that campfire. You and me, you had a campfire. We can die and burn to death. Or we can have beautiful s'mores and laugh. You know, have beautiful fellowship, pray together. Fire, we can die. Or we can have beautiful s'mores and beautiful fellowship. I should say beautiful fellowship before I say beautiful s'mores. But, you know, it's, that's the formula. And so we see this in verse 9. Verse 9. But beloved, (laughs) We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. It's like, wow, you know, that's heavy. I mean, the writer of Hebrews is like, okay, look at, you know, in chapter five, the writer of Hebrews is like, you know, like, you should be teachers, but let's go back to milk. And, you know, like, you gotta admit, the beginning of chapter six is pretty sobering realities. Very sobering realities. I mean, you know, it's impossible to restore again to repentance. 
You know, they put Jesus to open shame. And, you know, people who were once enlightened have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, it's impossible to renew them to repentance because they re-crucify Jesus. They crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. That's sobering. That's like saying, hey, let's have a campfire. And, you know, you might burn to death and, you know, we, we're going to have a, you might, we might burn, you know, and we might get too close to the fire and catch on fire. We're going to be a ball of flames and we're going to die. And it's going to be slow because we inhale all this stuff and boom, we're dead. It's like, that's scary. But in verse nine, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes. Things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. It's like, okay, let's have the s'mores. There's a campfire. We're not going to die. We're going to have s'mores. We're going to have beautiful fellowship. But to not speak of the danger of the fire would be negligence. Because yes, even though we're at the campfire and we're going to have the most beautiful, beautiful fellowship and speak of holiness and purity and like all kinds of beautiful righteousness and fellowship, we're going to laugh and we're going to pray and it's going to be glorious. To not speak of that danger of the fire would be negligence. But once handled properly, yes, the fire is there. But instead of being a threat, now it's a source of light. It's a source of warmth. It's a source. We gather there. We have our s'mores. We have our marshmallows. And I love that. In verse 9, you know, though we speak in this manner. You know, it's rather bold of the writer to speak about maturing in Christ, especially, you know, in seeing chapter 5, you know, you ought to be teachers. You see, it's a little chastisement. You got, like, you ought to be teachers by now. But since that's not the case, we got to go back to the basics. We got to go back to milk. The writer is saying, let's go back to the milk, but now you have this understanding of the risk of milk. Because milk drinking is beautiful for babies. To stay on milk, that's dangerous. Satan isn't afraid of babies. He's not afraid of babies. Remember, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? That's what the demon said to the, seven, the, the sons, of, uh, uh, sons of Seba. Remember? I mean, just like we said very recently, you know, if I were to tell you, hey, look, you know, get ready for a fight in six months, you're going to be locked in a cage. You're going to be in a cage fight. You say, okay, who am I fighting? It's a little, you know, little kid who's like, you know, two, uh, less than two feet high. And I don't mean to say, seem carnal in saying that, but it's not a threat. Not a threat. I mean, it's over, you know, tap out in two seconds. Not even that. Tap, tap out and no, it's, it's done. I say, hey, you know, train for a fight. You're going to fight in six months. Okay, who who am I going to fight? I see that big behemoth over there. And you're like, I got to fight that guy? No, the bigger guy behind him. Oh, my goodness. Now, you got to train. You got to train. You got to grow. You got to mature. See, Satan's not afraid of babies. Satan is not afraid of babies. Now, in verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor. Notice, work, work, labor, 
of love. You see, it's not working in terms of, oh, we got to get 10 converts so that we can go to heaven. No. Because the work of the Lord, as spoken by Brother James, when he correctly points to Abraham and Isaac, it's obedience to the Lord. Which aligns perfectly to the writings of Moses who spoke of Jesus, who wrote of Jesus. God's mercy to those who love me and obey me. You see, everything aligns perfectly. The square in the square, the circle in the circle, the triangle in the triangle, the, the you know, octagon in the octagon, the trapezoid in the trapezoid. And if I'm running out of shapes, I don't know the shapes, but they you know all these different shapes. The rectangle in the rectangle. Everything fits perfectly. Perfectly. In verse 10, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love for which you have shown toward his name. In that, you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Very interesting what we see here. Very interesting what we see. And I love it so much because all of a sudden there's reference to this beautiful, beautiful truth. Now, do you remember when, like, when we look at in passages where we see works, passages where we see labors, like when, when Paul labors, it's not anything that he's like grumbling about. He's not, he's not like, you know, murmuring about this, murmuring about that. No, we don't see that. We don't see that at all. But we do see something rather beautiful. It's, it's that labor of love. It's that labor of love. It's very interesting that we see this here. Because when the writer here says, you know, God is not unjust to forget your work, your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, past and present. Very interesting what we see. Past and present. They were ministering to the saints. But notice... They stayed on milk. Remember chapter 5? You need someone to teach you again? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. In, in real time for the writer of Hebrews. Revelation chapter 2. Turn with me really quick to Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works. I know your works. Your labor. See, notice works and labor. I know your works, your labor, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have, ta- you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. These are all good things. It's like, wow, you know, this is, this is on point. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. All good things. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Notice these saints, they've done a lot of good things. 
But without the full ingredients, without the recipe, without the formula, they were in a fallen state. What's the remedy? Repent. Repent. As is written here, repent and do the first works. Remember, package deal. The works. Faith and works. Package deal. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, the formula must be right. Recipes have multiple ingredients. I mean, like, what's the recipe for an apple? There is no recipe. It's an apple. What's the recipe for apple pie? Well, you get the apple, the whatever the recipe is, little this, little that, you know, some sugar here, little this, little that, and put it in the pan, throw it in the, I don't know the recipe for apple pie, but I'm saying, you know, what's the recipe for apple? There is no recipe because it's just the apple. But the recipe for apple pie, very specific. I mean, if you want to have apple pie, I mean, you're not, you're not going to put ground beef in apple pie. That's not the recipe. You see? Multiple things make up proper proper formula. And that's what we see here in Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, listen, like, you know, chapter 5. You ought to be teachers by now. But since that's not the case, we got to address why this isn't the case. Well, you're on milk. Well, why are you on milk? Well, the same thing that we see in Corinth. Now, to prevent that from happening, it's like, okay, you need to understand that Yes, there's this fire and the fire we can burn up and die and, you know, you know, catch on fire and then boom, you might be alive for about 10 seconds, but then you're going to be in pain and boom, you're dead. But instead of that happening, you know, like in verse nine, though we speak in this manner in Hebrews six, though we speak in this manner, understand that there's danger with the fire, but. With the fire, we can have light. With the fire, we can have warmth. With the fire, we can have our marshmallows. We can have our s'mores. And we can, you know, sit by the fire, be warmed, have beautiful fellowship. We can laugh. We can cry the good tears. We can pray. We can have the most glorious fellowship. You understand the full package. The package deal. The full package formula, recipe. It will help you grow and mature in Christ. So that, yes, you can be on milk, but you're not going to be on milk forever. You're going to grow and mature and have those spiritual porterhouses. The spiritual pork chops. And so notice here in verse 11, and we desire. Very interesting. The writer of Hebrews isn't alone. A tiny bubble perhaps. We desire that each one of you show, show. Now, when it is shown, it's on display. When on display, all can see. You know what it is? It's the good fruit. It's the good fruit. Look at the fruit that was on display in Corinth. For Paul to say to saints who you see it like, okay, look, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, They're Christians. You say, okay, they're Christians. They're saints. Praise be to the Lord. They're gathering together. Praise be to the Lord. But Paul says, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Whoa. Is Paul mean? No. Because he knows the formula. And he knows you rejoice, you gather, 
but there's sin in the camp. Remember our study in Joshua 7? There's Achan in the camp. It is a beautiful thing to rejoice, but absent the Achan. We got to address the Achan. Remember the opportunity that Achan had that night passed. All the opportunity to go to the go to the priesthood and say, hey, you know, like I'm not right before the Lord. There was ample opportunity. But he didn't do that. I mean, go back and listen to our study through Joshua 7. You'll understand more. And Paul, when he says to the Corinthians, you're rejoicing. Listen, it's not a good thing. You know why? Because of the Achans. There are Achans in the camp with the sex, with the alcohol. You see? Now, notice this is three years arrested development. Because where there was the temptation to sin. Remember, it's not a sin to be tempted. But how a person responds to temptation can be sin. But it can also be glorious. It's not a sin to be tempted. But how a Christian responds to that can be wicked or it can be righteous. Balls in our court. See? Achan, he chose wickedness. Now, there was a means by which Achan could have been cleaned up, but he didn't take that. Look at the sex, the extortion, the alcoholism that was happening in Corinth. That's the sin. But the temptation was before then. Where were the pastors? Where were the pastors? Why were they not teaching? Why were they not exhorting? Why were they not warning like the writer of Hebrews is doing about the, the, the fire? You know, we're going to have beautiful fellowship. We're going to have the spores. We're going to have, it's going to be glorious. But be careful with the fire because we might turn into a fireball and burn and die. It's very sobering. Very real, the threat and the danger of a fire. But used properly, it's glorious. And the writer here is saying here in verse 11 that we desire each one of you show the same diligence. You see, each showing the same diligence, the ecclesia as one body in the same spirit, showing this same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Now, it's not a partial hope. It's not the full, it's not partial hope, but what it is, it's the Full assurance of hope. The full confidence of hope. The formula's got to be right. Notice verse 12. To the full assurance of hope until this end, verse 12, that you do not become sluggish. Nothros in the Greek. In the Greek, nothros. You know what that is? Sluggish, lazy, stupid, dull and slothful. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 12 is saying, hey, don't become stupid. Don't become stupid. Remember verse 1? Let us move on to perfection. Forward, not backward. Don't be stupid. In verse 12, that you not become sluggish, but imitate those. Imitate and follow those. That's how it translates in the Greek, to imitate and follow those. Now, can this be said of anyone? 
Can this be? Can 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 you or me imitate any saint, any pastor, any elder? Just follow anyone. Understand the Bible has Moses and Pharaoh. The Bible has Joshua and Korah. The Bible has Hymenaeus, Paul, and Hymenaeus. The Bible has Chloe and Jezebel. When you understand the formula, you know who to imitate. You know who to follow. Under Joshua, Israel is safe. Under Paul, the church is safe. Under Timothy, safe. You see? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't become stupid, but imitate or sluggish, you know, translates as stupid, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, God's promises are beautiful and they're all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, but there are blueprints for effectuation of those promises. Remember? I can't say this enough. When we were in Joshua chapter 1, if you've been walking with us for a while, Joshua 1, that was hard. For me, that was hard. I don't know if it was hard for you to hear, but it was hard for me to speak on and teach. And the reason why is because I desire strongly God's promises for you. I desire strongly God's promises for you. Whether or not they apply to you, balls in your court. Whether or not God's promises apply to me, balls in my court. We look at Joshua 1 and God's promises to Joshua, but then you hit the rewind button and go all the way to Exodus and you see Joshua. When Israel was defiled, he wasn't. When Israel was fearful, he wasn't. You see, his walk with God started much prior. And I don't say that in terms of babies can't receive promises. But I say that in terms of babies can have promise. Toddlers can have promise. Adolescents can have promise. Adults, spiritually mature, can have. You know, when I say, when I'm speaking about toddlers, I'm talking about toddlers. I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually mature can have promises. But there's still the specific formula. You see? Verse 12 is saying, you know, don't be stupid. Don't be sluggish. Don't become sluggish, which is a process. Don't be stupid. Follow those who inherit promises. Not just anybody. I mean, you have a person at the pulpit of, you know, Grave Soaker Church. Oh, but he's a pastor. That's nice. Don't follow. Why? Because he might call himself a pastor, but you know what? He's not a pastor. You see? Follow those who inherit promise through faith and patience. The formula must be right. The formula must be right. In verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, in verse 14, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And also after he had patiently endured, this is Abraham, God and Abraham. So in verse 15, and so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise or, you know, Abraham obtained the promise. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Romans, Romans chapter four, 
in verse 20, he, speaking of Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, through unbelief, through unbelief. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Remember, package deal, package deal. Remember, very rare to see faith in the Old Testament. This is pre-law, pre-law. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced or fully convinced or, you know, full assurance of hope, just like we read in Hebrews 6, that what he had promised, what God had promised, he, speaking of God, was also able to perform. Also able to perform. Now notice, as a result, there was effectuation of promise for Abraham. Look at verse 22. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Don't forget that brother James in James chapter 2 verse 23 says, says that Abraham was a friend of God. Who's a friend of God today? Who's a friend of God today? Biblically speaking, friends of God do not deviate from his word. Friends of God do not deviate from his word. Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hannah, Esther, Paul, Phoebe, Chloe, so great a cloud of witnesses. You see? And so we see in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, this is Abraham, he obtained the promise. You see, Baal was in his court. Abraham, as in Romans 4, verse 20 says, he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith and giving glory to God. I mean, this is, this is pre-seed. This is pre-law. And yet you see faith. Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Now, this translates as, you know, the, the oath of confirmation as a fence or border of, com of confirmation. I'll give you an example. In, in, ver in verse 16, give you, for example, say there's two people that have some kind of issue, some type of disagreement, some type of matter. They go to court, they enter legal proceedings, and they swear under oath by, you know, by the power vested in me, you know, says the judge or, you know, whatever, they swear according to oath. It's, they swear by a greater. And they're under oath and there is an oath of confirmation or a fence, so to speak, by which they are, they legally agreed to be bound to. So they got some type of issue or matter, some point of contention. They go to court and, you know, they swear under oath and it is legally agreed, legally binding, and they legally agree to and legally bind themselves to. And it ends all dispute. It ends all dispute because now by breaking that contract, 
Now we get into, okay, now there's a penalty involved. But this agreement, this contract, this confirmation, it ends all dispute. And now that this dispute is settled, now they can be friendly again. Now they can be cordial again. Now they can be neighbors again. And that's what we see in verse 16. For men indeed swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Now we're going to look at a similar manner, but in the ways of the Lord. Knowing this, remember we studied the Timothys already. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Now, notice, to the heirs of promise. Now, God's promises are all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Now, the question is, do God's promises apply to you and me? See, understand that there are blueprints for effectuation. Faith is a package deal. It's belief and obedience, just like we see with Abraham. You see his faith, you see his obedience, package deal. And then you see the effectuation of promises unto Abraham accounted to, uh, accounted to him for righteousness. Just like, you know, Joshua 1. I had a very, very difficult time with Joshua 1 in teaching Joshua 1 because I want you to lean on God's promises. I want God's promises to be effectuated in you. But the ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Do you and me, are we the ones who yield to the word of God? Don't forget, we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, which we are told, we are warned not to quench, not to extinguish. You see? And when that doesn't happen, there's no extinguishing of the Holy Spirit. There's no quenching of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens? Rocket ship. That's growth and maturity. There's the moving on away from the elementary things, away from preschool, away from kindergarten, away from first grade, and then we get into junior high and high school and college. You see? Remember, verse 17 says, thus God determining to show. It's not God determined to show, past tense, nor is it God will determine future tense. It is God determining to show. That's real time. Real time. Right here, right now. God determining to show more abundantly, very specifically, to the heirs of promise. I mean, God knows those who are his. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, we just studied that. God knows those who are his. He knows what his promises are. He knows to whom do his promises apply to. You see? Now for them, God shows this more abundantly. 
God shows this more abundantly. As is written in verse 17, God determining to show more abundantly, very specifically, to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel. Immutability. You know what that is? Never changing. Never changing. His counsel in the Greek translates as his counsel, his purpose, and his will. See? His purpose hasn't changed. His will hasn't changed. His counsel hasn't changed. We've said it many times already. You know what it is? It's for people to be right with him. Old Testament, for people to be right with him. New Testament, for people to be right with him. Today, for people to be right with him. Right here, right now, for you and me to be right with him. Oneness, intimacy with the Lord. Oneness with you, beloved. Why? Because God, the Most High, the Almighty, he loves you. You see? He loves you. The immutability of his counsel, which, as is written in verse 17, confirmed it by an oath. Just like in the ways of men. Remember verse 16? There is a method that ends dispute confirmed in oath. But there is another oath. To heirs of promise, it is shown. It is shown. What is it that is shown? Verse 18. Verse 18. That by two immutable things in which, so two immutable things in which, one is this, it is impossible for God to lie. I'll say that again. It is impossible for God to lie. You see that. Say, for example, it's like Brother James says, is anyone sick? You know, baby girl's sick. Brother James says, take baby girl to the elder. A person, baby girl's sick, a person takes baby girl to the elder. You might have an elder that says, well, well, you know, take him to the doctor. Take baby girl to the doctor. It's like, well, but, but, you know, Brother James says, you know, pray, anoint for healing. But the disqualified elder doesn't know. The disqualified elder, oh, you know, take him to the doctor. You see? But the disqualified elder who's on his fifth marriage, the disqualified elder doing the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll and the whole nine yards. But remember, for overseer, it also opens up the family. The disqualified elder because his wife is a crackhead. The disqualified elder because the son is a sex head. The disqualified elder because the daughter is a sex head. They're doing their drugs, the Ouija board, the the crystals, the chakras. So a person said, oh, my baby girl's sick. And Brother James, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. And the word of God became flesh. And the word of God says, take baby girl to the elder. So I'm taking him to the elder, but nothing's happening. Is God a liar? Remember. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Two immutable things, two unchanging things. One of them is this. 
It is impossible for God to lie. God's not a liar. So why is baby girl not being healed? The Bible says, take her to the elders. So I'm taking her to the elders and nothing's happening. Wrong formula. Simple. God's not a liar. You know, is the Bible a lie? Because, you know, the baby girl's supposed to be healed and that's not happening. Well, look at the formula. You're submitting yourself to an elder who's disqualified. You're submitting yourself to an overseer who's disqualified. You're submitting yourself to a pastor who's disqualified. You see? No power. No oil. You're submitting yourself to a pastor who dismisses no power of the Spirit by saying, oh, that was for another dispensation. It's not for today. That's why we don't see the gifts nor the power of the Spirit. No, 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 no. God's not a liar. There's no expiration date on the power and the moving and the gifts of the Spirit. You know why we don't see the power and the gifts and the moving of the Spirit? In that pastor, in this pastor, over here, over there, you know why? Wrong formula. That's why. That's why you take baby girl to the disqualified overseer. Nothing happens. These are things that are going to be revealed in the last days. The Bible says there's, it's going to be perilous times, very treacherous. Lying and deceiving wonders. But the Bible also says that his spirit will be poured out. God's spirit will be poured out. The Bible says that the restrainer will be lifted as well. Which means what? Who are the saints who have oil for their lamps? You see? It is impossible for God to lie. Well, if it's impossible for God to lie, why isn't baby girl being healed? Why is it that I'm a crackhead and I'm still on crack? I've been on crack for 20 years. Why is it that I'm still a sexhead and I still do my sex? Why is it that I still do this? Why? Are, what's up with these addictions? What's up with this? What's up with that? Why, if God is real, then why is it? If God is real, then this. And if God is real, the Bible is fake. The Bible is a lie. God is a liar. No, 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 no. Those are the answers that Satan has. Satan is the liar. It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Remember verse 18 says, there are two immutable things, two unchanging things. The first one is it is impossible for God to lie. So what is the second? We, we, so the heirs of promise, very specific, verse 17, heirs to the heirs of promise. In verse 18, the second thing, the first one is that impossible for God to lie. The second is that we might have strong consolation. In the Greek, this is a comfort, a comfort that is strong, mighty, and powerful. Remember, God shows this. 
not past tense, not future tense, present tense, in the right here and the right now. God shows this to the heirs of promise who have fled for refuge in verse 18. Now, I want to say something here. I want to say something to patriots. And I teach from America. But when I say patriots, I don't care what country you emanate from, what country you're listening from. Patriots in any country. And patriots are probably already bothered by what I'm going to say. And patriots, I love you. But there is a rising tide of patriotism in many churches. A rising tide of patriotism. You have pastors at the pulpit. Oh, we have to take our country back. We have to take our country back. And you have pastors who are leading a carnal fight. It's a fight according to the flesh because the Bible, the Word of God, says that it is righteousness that exalts a nation. That's what the Bible says. It is righteousness which exalts a nation. The very ones who claim to fight in the will of God. Oh, we have to take our country back and this is how we fight against the government and this is how we do this and this is how we reject this or reject that. And They're leading a carnal fight. And these are also the ones who say that it is okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Oh, we got to take our country back. We got to fight for our freedoms. We got to stand and fight. And, re, you know, we got to stand up against this and this oppression and this and that. And, oh, by the way, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's happening. We are in the days of deception. And it's going to grow worse. Here in verse 18. Two immutable things. Number one, it's impossible for God to lie. Number two, that we might have strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge. Fleeing for refuge is to abide in Christ, our strong tower. We run to Him, we run in Him, we abide in Him, and He in us as He promises. There's more to this, but in a very basic sense, abide in Christ. It's so simple. It's so simple. Verse 18 continues, To lay hold of the hope set before us, which is to seize and retain and hope with strength, and hold with strength. To seize, retain, and hold with strength. The hope, the hope, the confidence. Don't forget that the consolation and comfort is strong and mighty. As is written here, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, in, in, in verse 18, that we might have strong consolation. Don't forget that this comfort, this consolation of the Lord, it's strong and mighty as he is. This is the hope set before us. That's what verse 18 says. That's powerful. That's deep. And you know what? That's comforting. This 
strong consolation. In verse 19, this hope we have. Remember, the writer in in chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 said, you ought to be teachers. Now we got, because that's not the case, because now we, we, there, there's arrested development. Now we got to go back to milk. Now in giving milk, there's heavy doses of truth. Remember the fire? Yeah, we can have our s'mores. We can have a beautiful moment of fellowship. But with the fire, you know, there's also a danger behind it because we can, you know, we ourselves can, the, the fire can consume us. We die. And now that that's that reality and that truth is understood, okay, let us apply it safely. Let us not re-crucify Jesus. Let us move on to perfection. No more baby school. No more baby school. I meant... Who repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats first grade? Who does that? According to the flesh, nobody. At most, you might me see once or, you know, like two times at most. And sadly, in the faith, people are stuck in first grade. Christians, saints are stuck in first grade. Now, there's multiple reasons behind that. One of which is, you know, wrong formula in the pastor. But when you understand that, A, the formula is wrong in this church. The formula is wrong. It's not the right doctrine. It's not the formula is wrong in this guy. The formula is wrong in sanctuary. Hey, you got to jump ship. In verse 13, the writer says, listen, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Can you see how heavy this is? Can you see how heavy this is? Because in the Old Testament, behind the veil is a Kohanim. That veil is torn from top to bottom. Remember Jesus to tell us that the veil is torn from top to bottom. Remember our study in Leviticus, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? I mean, if you're listening the first time, it's like, whoa. Go back and listen to our study through Leviticus. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. It's exactly the same today. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, and you've never heard this before or never been taught in this manner, listen, you definitely, you definitely absolutely need a new pastor you need a new pastor you know why because verse 17 says that god shows this god shows this not determined to show not will determined to show determined real time god shows this he is determining to show this more abundantly but very specifically to the heirs of promise. I mean, if you're a Christian and you've never heard this, you've never been taught this, you need a new pastor. Because you know what the Bible says? God shows this more abundantly to heirs of promise. 
You say, I've been going to Christian. I've been going to church. I'm a Christian. I've been going to this church for 10 years. I've been going to that church for five years. I've been going to that church for 20 years. I've been going to that church for 30 years. And I've never heard this before. Well, God shows it. The Bible says God shows it. I mean, the formula is him. He shows it to the heirs of promise. He shows it, verse 17, shows it more abundantly to the heirs of promise. The immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath. I mean, you want strong comfort? You want mighty comfort? Formula's got to be right. You want to lay hold of the hope set before us? The formula's got to be right. Because you do it according to the flesh, it's not going to work. You see? It is impossible for God to lie. Oh, baby girl's sick and she needs to be healed. So the Bible says take her to the elder, but nothing's happening. Who's the elder? Oh, this guy over here. You mean, you know, that guy on his third marriage? Wrong formula. That guy who beats on his wife? That guy who, you know, he, 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 you know, has his little, you know, his little bender? That guy who cooks spoons? That guy who does the lines? Wrong formula. You're taking baby girl to the wrong person. Brother James says, you know, take your, your, any, anyone sick among you, go to the elder. You see? Just like my friend whose shoulder was healed. I heard the cracking and the popping. It wasn't a massage job. It was like the Lord. It wasn't the elders. It was the Lord. Through his vessels, those elders. See? Oh, but that was for 2,000 years ago. The Lord doesn't work that way anymore. Hey, the Lord doesn't work that way with you. I meant to the person who says that. Oh, that was for another dispensation. People say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. Look, the study Bible guy, he's got his study Bible. He's a, a doctorate in theology, which is an honorary doctorate. Oh, but he says that was for 2,000 years ago. Therefore, I believe what he says. Okay. The expiration date isn't in the Bible. The expiration date on the power and the moving and the gifts, it's not in the Bible. It's in you. To the person who says that. No oil. You see? But when the opposite is true, the opposite of the bad, we see the good, we see the beautiful, we see the lovely, we see the, the godly. You see, when you hear us say jump ship, it's for your soul. It's for your soul that these truths not be hidden from you, but that God's promises be effectuated in you. You see, I've talked to Christians before. I've never heard this before. I've been going to church for 10 years, 20 years. I've never heard this before. 
the Bible says it's that God shows it. And not just shows it like a little glimpse. No, like more abundantly. Why is it? Why hidden? He doesn't hide anything. Well, when you love the truth, when you obey him, but if you disobey and don't love the truth, these are restricted. These things become closed. Remember, the word of God is spiritually discerned. People read the Bible as literature. Sometimes in colleges and university, the Bible is taught as literature. But it can't be done. People do it, but it can't be done. You say, how do you, how do you say it can't be done when it is being done? Okay. They can read the Bible as literature. But to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the Lord knows those who are his. You'd see people, I, I, I tried to read the Bible, but I don't understand the Bible. I don't get it. Now, if you're mature, and I love you, if you're mature, you have to be very careful here. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, be very careful here. Because somebody might say, well, I don't know the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. Now, it could be that truths are withheld from a person. That's very true. Just like with Ephesus in in Revelation 2, where, you know, they... they they were the saints were good at marking out like they, they were good at marking out okay this guy is not good this guy is not good danger here danger they were good at it but sometimes people say i don't know i don't know i don't understand i don't understand you know why because they need a teacher it's not they don't understand because they can't understand it's that they don't understand because they're babies if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you have to understand this. And care for the baby, care for the young ones in Christ. To teach them. Tender, 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 tender care for the little ones in the faith. So that they can grow and mature. And in the course of time that they will have that understanding. Because these things are revealed from the Lord. God shows in verse 17, God shows it more abundantly. It's not just, you know, you know remember the veil is torn. It is shown to the, it's not like, okay, I'm going to give you a little, little here, little there. Little, no, it's like, boom, it's more abundantly shown, but specifically to the heirs of promise. But remember, just like we looked at in Joshua 1, there is effectuation of promise. You see? Effectuation of promise. Faith and works package deal. And notice in Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. You see? 
We say jump ship for a reason. You see? Because these things can be shown to you. Heir of promise. Heir of Abraham. By faith in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, in closing, verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, 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 according to the order of Melchizedek. Pre-law, pre-commandments, pre-circumcision, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. What the Lord has done. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous are his works. Taste and see that the Lord your God is good. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.